episode 128 of Zap to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Mr. Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. Last week, we looked at our first batch of games from issue 51 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with, and were feared by phobia, stupefied by street cred boxing, and nautically challenged in Navy moves. This week, we conclude our look at the games in July 1989. <laughs> July 1989, good lord. Along with what was also lighting up our TV and cinema screens that month. Graham, should we have stayed in to play the games this month, or should we have gone on a nice holiday to Torremolinos? In this fabulous episode where we repeatedly record something onto a videotape to explore its durability over an entire lifetime, we get all 8-bit cinematic and head to the blood-splattered corridors of a troubled space station to find out who ordered the burly beef in the surprising Project Firestart. Head to the weird planet of Drill and with a heavy cold and no tissues in the snotty Gilbert Escape from Drill and then head to the weird world of gold to kick someone right in the bellums and potentially get a pelvin in the stupid Grand Monster Slam. After much recording and re-recording, both night and day, we can confidently reveal that there was no fading or degradation of the videotape. Exciting. While we now try to power down the Ferguson video star we used, we also slip into our horny Viking costume and head to the magical and potentially breast-augmented world of the fairies on a rescue mission in Stormlord, before finally getting our teas, balls and clubs in order, not forgetting to pack the old Billy Baru, and then heading out to slow load some golf in Jack Nicklaus's greatest 18 holes of major championship golf. Not as many games for this episode, but amongst those is a bona fide classic and some very pretty graphics. Production quality is on the up, or is it? I think Should we? Holiday. <laughs> Go with the holiday. There's one. There's one we should have stayed in for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been an interesting second half of July, so let's see how it plays out. Let's see how it goes. Also, as well, this is uh, episode 128. 128. The C128. Do we need to mention it? It is. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. I should mention the old 128. I never owned one. Never knew anyone who did. And so I, just no. don't, I don't know <laughs> anyone who owned a 128. No. No. And it was never seen as the thing that you progressed to either, was it? It was weird. And it, well, you didn't get a 64 no. and then go, you know what? I need the next one up. It was Amiga was the next one up. It's like the 128 just was like, what, what was it really for? I don't know. It must have a purpose, I suppose. It was for Kickstart 2 and some other things, like that crappy CRL one where you got some extra extra crap. Yeah, Amaro. We had a lot of extra animations and music, didn't it? Stuff like that. Ooh, extra animations. Dave Whittaker's loop was twice as long, a hot cozy 50 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> oh, Dave. <laughs> With those 50 seconds, you're spoiling us. <laughs> you no. I, I Too much looping. I, I don't need... <laughs> it looped four times. <laughs> It looped inside itself. It's a loop within a loop because he could do that with one of the extra memory. I don't know what that exactly. was. It's like an Inception. He was doing Inception songs well before Inception. Um, no, I didn't have one to eight, and I didn't know anyone with one. Um, no. Who cared? Anyway, so we were, we were, we did think, didn't we? About did we do something special for this? And then we thought one to eight's not worth it. Yeah, we well we we got all the one to eight games. 
And then we realized that principally they're almost identical to the C64 ones, only with moderate enhancements and not even good ones. So last V8s, what? It's not going to make it any easier, is it? It's just going to be, I don't know, longer? No. I don't know. Anyway, it was not enhanced 1 to 8 games weren't, no, they weren't like mega or anything. As far as I'm aware, maybe there's something we'll look at in the future, maybe one day, but not now. Not now. Not now. Not now. No, and on that note, should we get into some games? We've got only five this yes. week. Only five games this week. But, you know, it's there is it is. only five, five games. games. Yes. Yeah, but uh, let's waste no time. Let's get into those games. And our first one is Project Firestart. This was a Sizzler, 91%. Ooh. Um, this is from Ooh. Electronic Arts. <laughs> and like I said, it's Project Firestar. Ooh. And it's actually a rather decent and gripping sci-fi survival horror style affair. On the C64, mm. survival horror. Interesting. Does it Say work? What? Well, got 91%. I know. Surely the 64 can't do a decent survival horror game. Surely. But no. You mean you didn't enjoy Dracula or Frankenstein? <laughs> they're not survival horror games. They, well, I need. They were horror. Yeah, you have to endure I them. To survive that. I, I had to, yeah, they're endure horror <laughs> games. Uh, yeah. Anyway, the developer here is Dynamics, who we had seen before to varying degrees of success with Caveman Olympics, Arctic Fox, F14 Tomcat, and Sky Fox 2. And they did all those. Ooh. Design was by Jeff Tunnell and Damon Sly. Producers were Shelley Safir and Roland Kippenham. Code was by Paul Bowman, Derek Lukashuk, and Rich Rail. The graphics were by John Burton and Derek Lukashuk, and the musician was Alan McKean. It's a big team. Big yep. team. Big team. For a fairly big game then, because uh, this was fourteen ninety nine and it was disc only. So yeah, that's kind of cool. So the story then, what exactly, Graham, is Project Firestart? So I'm just going to read you this from the manual um, to sort of set the scene. Project Firestart began on February 13th, 2066, aboard the research ship Prometheus. Financed by the System Science Foundation, the SSF, an agency of the United System States, the USS, the project's goal was to produce strong, durable laborers capable of helping belters mine titanium and iridium on selected moons and asteroids. Although first-generation genetic reshaping is extremely hazardous, you don't say, it was allowed because the geneticists involved were required to follow strict safeguards guaranteeing tight control over the experiment's end product. But the Prometheus no longer responds. The safeguards must have been breached. If they have, Firestart is out of control. The SSF has assigned you to clean up the mess. That's pretty much it. So as far as we go, that's the preamble. So this sets up a nice sort of, uh, you know, mm. genetic experiments on board a space station. We've lost contact with them. Can you nip in and uh, sort it out? See what's gone on. <laughs> Get in there. Go on. Go on. Loading up the game gets a nice cinematic opening where someone is trying to make contact with Prometheus. I think this is, what's his name? Chief Ricker, I think it is his name. Good old Chief Ricker. Yeah, that's right. Um, but nobody answers except a spooky shadow looms over the monitor screen that we can see. Ooh, spooky shadow. Mm, um, spooky. Then we get the title and credits whilst the moody piece of music plays. We even get credits for who starred as the character in the game with Kevin Arends playing John, that's you, Jodie Burton as Mary, and Dan Airtel as Anna. So, you know, quite the quite the production, this. Really nice and cinematic yeah. opening. It's really cool. Um, if you leave hmm. the credits to run, uh, we then get a full proper intro with a shot of Saturn and the Prometheus orbiting it. Then we get an action shot inside the ship as a crew member is killed by something. That has obviously escaped and is big and green and probably pretty mean. Would have thought. Cutting back to the USS, mm. 
you, you how do you pronounce how do you pronounce this? You quenku? You quenku? As it's I don't know how again? to pronounce this. It's spelled U Q U E N U Q U E. Why do they do this? <laughs> Give it an ordinary, normal name. <laughs> I know. You quenqua, you quenqua, you quenqua, you quenqua. Yeah, I'd go with that. I'm not going to try it. My tongue will probably split it out trying to yeah. pronounce that. <laughs> Anyway, you are given your mission by Chief Ricker, uh, who sort of he's got I love the fact he's got a little headset on on the uh on the yeah, on, yeah, the, video, yeah. on the video screen. Um and he tells you that he's faxed over the stuff. It's like, ah, oh, they're still using faxes in twenty sixty six. That's lovely. So yeah, the same he's the same person who was trying to call the Prometheus earlier. Essentially you were given two hours to get to the bridge of the Prometheus, set the self-destruct sequence, and then get the hell out of there. That's all you're asked to do at this stage. Just go in, find the bridge, set the self-destruct, and leg it. Obviously, there's more to it than that, as you'll find out once you start the game. So the game starts with you just having boarded the ship. The graphics for the levels take up, I say levels, it's rooms. It's rooms and corridors. So it not, is. Not so much levels. So they take up almost all the screen, and there's a minimal UI at the bottom, uh, which shows your health. There's a sort of uh, a long sort of line of green sort of chevrons, sort of greater than symbols. Uh, the power left in your laser gun, or any gun that you're carrying at the time, and that's a smaller sort of bar of uh, green triangles. And that's kind of it. Uh, yeah, so that's it. The main visuals for the background are very, really nicely done. They're drawn from a slightly isometric viewpoint, I guess. Um, you're sort of looking down to the left from the top right. So I guess that's how I describe it. And uh, your sprite, it's a good size and he's well animated as he runs about. He's got a really nice animation. He he's, it's cool. He's got, a, he's got an ace cool black jogging suit on with a cool green stripe all the way down it, which I was uh, yes. well into. It looks, it looks very nice. Uh, controls are simple enough. Left and right to move along the 2D parts of the ship because some of it's sort of flat 2D. Uh, you can only run it out, but then you get to, and then you can use up and down to navigate the rooms that have more depth to them that are more 3D. Mm. So it's nice and simple. It's just up, down, left, right. Very simple, easy to pick up. Fire shoots your laser in the direction you are facing. Uh, You've got I to bring up your inventory at the bottom. That's underneath your health, where you can see what you are carrying. Uh, And C allows you to swap guns once you've found more than once. You can carry two guns at once. You can't drop a gun until you've basically used up all its its, uh, energy. But you can then drop it if you just you can get rid of it. You, you can then allow you to pick up another one. So you find another gun, you have to blast the other one out. So you can only carry two. That's the point. Um, as you navigate the ship, you'll find doors to open and lifts to use that take you between the Prometheus's four levels. Um, and you choose which floor to visit again. Just with the joystick, it'll just come up the bottom. Um, you know, you'll get a little message pop up saying "open door," and you can just press the fire button to yes or no, and you can choose which. Move uh, floor one, two, three, or four if, you, if you've got those options for the lifts and you just select them and you press fire and you'll go up in the lift and you'll come out the other end. It's all cool. Um, you'll also find computer terminals as well. Um, and with these, you can, similar to what we kind of saw in Neuromancer, this is kind of an early sort of examples of these, isn't it? Where we're getting, you know, what we consider mm. now this, you know, what we think from Bioshock with its audio logs and Resident yes. Evil and uh, Gears War and Doom 3, all those kind of emails and stuff you find in these games these days. Well, this is it. These, we, these games so. are doing it then. So we saw it in Neuromancer where you could pick up information, but this is, essentially, this is the backstory, but it's and it's it's actually quite funny. The first one you find is like, you need to check this, and the next email, uh, yellow alert, mm. because this is broken, and the next email's like, red alert, everything's broken out, oh my God. And yeah, then the next yeah, yeah, it's it's like, oh, that, that escalated quickly. <laughs> It's like, but you know, but it's you know, it's good. It's good to see these kind of 
this backstory being told through sort of stuff that you find within the environment. You don't really get that much at these. We know we haven't seen much of that at this stage. So that's good. As you progress through the craft, you'll find dead bodies, loads of mm. dead bodies in gruesome, in, in gruesomely hacked to pieces. Yeah, but the, yeah. the, the first one you come across is like, it's a jump cut to it, isn't there? The jump yeah, cut to yeah, a close-up of it. It's, it's like, Duh. it's like got danger scrolled on the wall yeah, and blood and his blood. hand's been yeah, hacked yeah. off. Really it's good like, stuff. It's like, oh, okay, that's... I wasn't expecting that, but yeah, there's loads of them. Um, some of them have extra weapons on them. Some of them have key cards, and you'll need to use these in order to progress deeper into the craft. Um, there are also parts of the ship that you can interact with, um, although turning things off or interacting with things is just something you'll have to figure out for yourself. You know, Do you depressurize stuff? Do you turn the power off? Do you turn this laser grid on? Never really sort of says why. You can just do it, and it's like, mm. okay, what did that do? Very bizarre. But I quite like that because it's just there's no instructions, it's just figure it out. So as you progress further, monsters appear and you must blast them into cosmic goo with your gun. And the better the gun, the faster they go down. But each gun only has a certain amount of charge, so use it wisely. Don't press the fire button, essentially, unless you've got an option, because it'll shoot a bit of your gun and you lose it. You can't recharge them. Contact with the monsters sees your health go down. And as it says in the manual, your wounds, you know, once you've killed them, your wounds, they won't get worse, but they're not going to get better. So your, your health mm-hmm. does not regenerate. You have to find med stations that are usually by the lift in the sort of um, uh, little sort of lift areas um, that are on the ship. And you can use them to, to gain some of it back. Not all of it, but just some of it. And you can only use them once. Mm-hmm. Um, they're empty after that. So, you know, you've got to plan your route around the ship. There's more going on here on the Prometheus than at first meets the eye. And it's up to you to figure out what exactly that is. And I'm not going to spoil it because it's, it's an interesting game. This, And that's the game. You run about, you try and find stuff, you shoot aliens, and you try and survive. The layout of the ship is a series of corridors. Um, and the manual comes with a handy map to aid your navigation, which is quite easy. to. It's not overly complicated, the layout of the ship. No, it's, it's pretty, not. It's pretty easy to work out where you go around. And every corridor has a has a letter assigned to it, like corridor P, corridor Q, yeah, yeah, corridor yeah. R, corridor B. So it's easy to see on the map, oh, I'm in that corridor. Oh, there's that door. Right, that goes there. And after a, after a few minutes, you can really pretty much navigate yourself around this ship. And it's so it's it has a, a good feel to it. Because um, it does do that thing where moving through doors will lead to a... So if, it, you, know, if you go through a door, it... You, because it's 2D, then obviously it flicks you 90 degrees to the left, but you don't, it kind of works here. I don't know yeah, it, it does. works. Because you've got so, the map and it's pretty clear, you can sort of go, yeah, actually, I must and be it's there, not, and it's of. not overly complicated as well. So, no. like, where we saw like things like that, Death Wish 3 and He Man and Turn and Knob and games like that and Fist 2, we, we just sort of going in and you're like, oh, what, what's going I don't get it. Yeah, but this works. This is it nice does. and easy to navigate and it's easy to keep in your mind where you are. Um, so, I was wandering around this fine. There's plenty of doors to open. There's plenty of rooms to explore. You get the option to close the door behind you. And it seems like a sensible idea because monsters, they follow you. <laughs> they follow you they through, do. through doors, into rooms. I was like beetling about. I left a monster in a room, legged it, was off somewhere else kind of thing. And then I turned around and just walked in. Eagle walked in on me. It was like ages yeah. ago I found you. He's just been <laughs> making his way towards me. And I was like, ah, crap. So the monsters are these big sort of green things. And there's, there's cut scenes when you run into some of them as well. Some of the bigger there ones is. will have a sort of cutscene. You can go up to like t- there's one where you go up to a test tube and you see this big blue thing in the test tube. It's like ooh mm. in the sort of in the sort of tank. That's kind of cool. There's loads of like little sort of interstitial cutscenes about this because and like I said, the cinematics all through all through it they don't stop at the beginning. Um, like I said, the first time you get a dead body, it cuts through a gory close up of it. There's this happens in other rooms with dismembered bodies and like I said, when you find the bigger monsters, there's also cutaways with the screen going to black and meanwhile 
dot, 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 popping up. Mm. We will then get a small cinematic of something else happening on the ship, cluing us into a bigger story that's going on here. The visuals on the different areas of the ship are well done with varied and different parts, such as the terrarium. It's got a nice green background, the radiation labs all have their own feel to them. I raised the uh, lead shutters in the radiation lab and thought, I think it's that's a bad, a bad, I- that's a bad idea. And I instantly <laughs> yeah. put them back down again. I was like, that's probably not good. The same moment when I shut all the power off on it and all the power went off, I was like, probably should put that back on. <laughs> yeah, that's why I did it. Just, uh, it went all black and I was like, ah, oh, crap. Uh, and I'll yeah, turn that back on. I don't think that's a good idea. Then when I went to the computer, it said, somebody turned all the power off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then turn it back on again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's really good that there's, uh, they've all got the background appropriate sound effects where needed. There's a really nice um, informative sort of musical sting when monsters enter the room. Mm. And then also as well, when you've killed them, you get like a little bit of triumphant yes. music. Like I said, the big green monsters, there's plenty to figure out. Um, and I, I don't want to give it away. I haven't finished this yet. Um, <laughs> I did... I did get one ending. Um, I, I got to the bridge. I set the self-destruct sequence. I legged it off the ship. Then I got told I was a coward and I'd be stripped to my rank. I was like, yeah, yeah. that's what you told me to do. <laughs> I did what you said. You follow like, orders or people die. Yeah, well, oh, I okay. did. And people, well, I didn't know this, but there's a really sort of, I, I presume as well, I kind of, like I said, I don't want to spoil stuff, but there's the, there's some really clever little bits in this. And there's what, there's, there's one, there's one that kind of got repeated twice. And then because I was legging it, I got another one. I was like, oh, maybe I should have gone and rescued them. Did you yeah. get that? Yes. You know what I'm saying? I was like, oh, that, yeah. that's, that, don't think that should have happened. That's why that was telling me about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, we we played as well. Just to sort of just to full transparency, we played the easy flash version of this. I didn't play the disc version. I did say there's quite a bit of disc loading on the disc version, so I can see that might have been a bit of a pain. Um, maybe that explains the ninety one percent this got. I don't know. Um, but you know, th- but playing the uh, this version, it was a, it's a great experience. This is you know, it, this is a real uh, perhaps the earliest example of survival horror that I've come across. Limited ammo, yeah. limited healing, puzzles to solve, characters to meet, enemies to kill, and a mystery to solve. It's re- it's the Resident Evil Spencer Mansion. It's Dead Space's Ishimura. You know, mm. in just eight bit, it's eight bit graphics in two D and on the C sixty four. It's visually, it, it it I thought it's what Cyborg and that Mandroid Dame desperately wanted to be. Yeah, totally. totally, um, totally. And, to, what, and this is what I think that those games desperately wanted to be. It takes some elements, I thought, from Karatika, like in the meanwhile, and the cutscenes yeah. and the yeah. and that sort of cinematic vibe and feel. A little bit of Aliens because it's got that alien sort of feel to it and wraps them yeah. all up in a solid, sensible interface, never gets in the way. It's perfectly yeah. easy to control, really simple. I was running about the station, shooting monsters, finding computer terminals, as I said, that made me laugh. There's key cards, extra weapons, and I, I had an absolute blast playing this, even when I died, and I did a lot, because monsters will yeah. pile out on you some points, and you'll get a yeah. bit stuck. Like survival horror, like the early Resident Evils, you can't move and shoot, yeah. so you, you have to pick your place. Like, Which makes sense, actually. Yeah, it does, but it's like original Resident Evil with, with the tank mm. controls. You, you, you could shoot, but you can't move. That's what this game is. It's a 2D version of that. And yeah. it, it feels like not a lot else on the machine. There's not, I don't think I played no. much that feels like it's this for me. Very little like it. Yeah. And it, it's another example of just what the machine can do in capable hands. It's, a, you know, it's a, it's an interesting sci-fi action story. I mean, the sci-fi, you know, it's one of those classic stories. We were doing stuff on the station and we've lost contact. Uh, yeah. You know, it's uh, it's Event Horizon. Yeah, it's all it's loads of stuff. There's loads of loads of films and stories and sci-fi stuff like this. You know, it's it's a typical thing. But it's also got you know exploration, resource management, a key, 
and, and I was absolutely gripped whilst playing this. I was, I was loving it. Um, so I, I can't, I can't believe I've never heard of this. Cannot believe it. But, no. uh, but in a sense, I can. I think at this point, I tuned out as app. When this was disc only, I probably wasn't even looking at it because I didn't have a disc drive, so I'm never going to play it. But I, I, I've got quite far into it. I haven't finished it. It's certainly something I'm going to go back to in order to complete properly. Certainly one of the best games I've played this year, if not doing this podcast. I loved this. I thought it was brilliant. A great surprise and a great game. Just, it's, you know, it's one of those games that's just made for me and they've done it really well. I, I loved this. I thought it was great. What about you? Exactly the same. Now, interestingly, I'd never come across this. And I think it might be because it's there's obviously a US basis for this. And I just, maybe it just didn't get much landfall in the UK at this point. We were kind no. of obsessing over... Amiga stuff and budget stuff and fairly expensive US-based disc games. Unless I got, I mean, I never got a crack of this at the time. Mm. So just it never came across my transom and I never saw the box anywhere ever. No, so. no, no, did I. So I don't know. So it was a complete surprise. Um, it's what? Well, it's 8-bit Dead Space, isn't it really? I mean, like you said. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's, and it's genuinely atmospheric. I mean, the game is clever. Um, mm. Really good sci-fi game. I mean, surely this is an influence on the flashbacks and the Another Worlds. Must um, be. That must come be. later. It, it must be an influence on them because, I mean, the, the way that it looks, the kind of graphics, the style of it, the characters sort of running left and right with the backgrounds, the little cutscenes. I mean, it, you could almost be playing an early version of Flashback. Mm. Um, there's definitely, you know, some stage, there's some of that. Or maybe they're just, you know, good ideas done well, and that's another good idea done well. But yeah, I mean, this sets the t- the scene and the tone really well. I thought maybe maybe some of the music was a little bit off the mark here and there, and that's just because it felt tonally a bit jolly. But it doesn't really matter; it's still all part and parcel of it. When it's good, it's really good, and when it's and, and when it's you know when you're wandering around, there's a genuine sense of what the hell has happened here. And I haven't had that for the longest time since I played Halo for the first mm. time. I haven't had that genuine sense of wandering around thinking what is going on here inside did it on mobile a bit as well where you mm. and i love it game when games do that it doesn't happen very often and portal was another game that did that where yeah, it just yeah. takes a complete turn and this and this one does you know so don't think but in going into this that it's all about what you think it is because it's not there's more no, to it mm. so i really liked it there's a lot apparently a lot of different endings to it in loads, loads of ways you'll die just saying, just saying there's yeah. loads of ways yes all humorous as well they're not all humorous that sounds wrong but what i mean is they're all no, they're, they're akin to, you know, if you do something stupid, you're going to die yeah. from it. Don't let yourself out of an airlock or something daft like that, or stand, <laughs> yeah. in front, stand in front of a radiation, a badly leaking radiation shield and go, what to do if I raise that? Because you'll be dead very quickly. And then it's like, you just feel like, oh, I should have done that. No. Um, I mean, I like the graphics. Uh, I thought they were really good for, for what they are. They're perfect for this. Mm. Um, the cutscenes, really good. Um, you, could, you could argue maybe, you know, oh, it's not, the graphics aren't really... The animation's not really smooth, or anything, but it's 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 perfectly in service to this game, and it's better it's better and faster, and it works the same sort of way that Karataka did, only without the really bad slowdown. So it's 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 okay, mm-hmm. but you're not being bombarded with enemies. You're not being bombarded with stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's moments when you're going to find a lot of them wandering around if you're not careful and you're shutting your doors. Yeah, <laughs> and that really does come back to bite you. But and, and sometimes I went into one room and it was just like the next graphic I saw was just like a load of them in a room like ah. I was like, ah. I'm <laughs> yeah, I'm dead now. <laughs> so it's genuinely very good. The aliens do have a really good knack of appearing when you least expect it, and they do wander around and follow you. So you've got to be really mindful of that. There's loads of locations that are interesting in this. There's a biosphere. There's engineering departments. There's even toilets, and all of that has a there's, there's a purpose and a place for everything that's in this, and there's a reason. Yeah, I found a, they found a kitchen as well. There's nothing to find in there, but it's just 
there's a kitchen. Costa would be. Yeah, so I mean, there would be a kitchen. There's a kitchen. There's, cap, there's a cafe bar. There's, you know, yeah. there's, there's with an arcades in it. There's just there's a lot more to this than meets the eye. It certainly isn't from the surface just to wander around and you know do stuff. There's a, and it's such an answer to all of those games that we've said. Just don't walk, be a game where you're wandering around. Pick this up, move it over there, put it down over there. This is not that. This is exactly what we've been saying you should do yeah. all this time. Don't bombard me with enemies. Let me explore the area. Let me figure stuff out. Yeah. And because it, it does all of that and gives you, it doesn't give you a lot as well. Either. It doesn't give much away. Now, there's something going on. We're not quite sure what it is. You know, you need to get in there and you start to piece that together. That is very much a modern game thing. This is way ahead of its time in that respect, way ahead. Mm. The large map, interesting locations. I think this is one of the greatest games we've played for this podcast. It's such a surprise. It's such a brilliant game. It's mm. not, there's nothing else I can think of that's like it. Nothing. Nothing has really come close to it. Uh, maybe Karataka because of its narrative kind of way of yeah. visualizing the story a bit. But it, it also made me think that it, this is the game that Nexus wanted to be as well. Oh, completely. Yeah. You, they, those games and those things, when, it's only when you look at that and you realize what they did wrong in order to, you know, this is doing all of those things. It just does them right. Subtlety. Keep people on their toes a little bit. Don't throw too much at them. Let people figure it out. This is a game that's treating adult, oh, I say adult, but treating adult gamers like adults. Mm. And because of all of those things, I think it's it was genuinely a surprise and it's really, really brilliant. Definitely a strong recommendation to get the Easy Flash version from CSDB and play it mm. because it is astonishingly good and it's way ahead of its time. This feels like a way more modern game than it actually is. If this was on a modern mobile device, you wouldn't think twice about it. Yeah. You know, it, it, and it wouldn't take much to do it. That's the thing. It, up the frame rate. You could play it exactly as it is, just up the frame rate. It'd be perfectly serviceable. It's a great game. Yep. Yeah. So, no, I thought it was, uh, it's easily one of the best games we've played in a long time. Such a relief. Thank God it came along because, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's only taken us six, seven months to get to a game where we've gone, wow. But there it is. That's what we, we keep saying about this podcast. We, we play all these games so you don't have to. And then one comes along and we think, we think you should play this one yeah. because there's something special about Project Firestart, something very special about it. Yeah, so, it's really, really good. It deserved more than 91%, sorry, but it did. For me, I thought it was just because it's such a breath of fresh air, but maybe the loading on the disc, because I did play the Easy Flash one, and so maybe that was the thing I mean, that you yeah. said, but could be that. But wow, what a great, great game that was. Brilliant. Go play it. Definitely go play it. I'm going to go back to it like you. So yeah, you, I you finish save it. your progress and stuff like what, that. So yeah, same. See what the hell's going on there. there I want to get go. that lovely ending. Yeah. Uh, maybe. I don't know. But um, we'll see. There you go. That's Project yeah. Firestar. You should go play it because it's very, very good. Very good. Very good indeed. And and if that Easy Flash version had been around back then, I, I would have. You know, this should have been a ninety-seven. It should have been a gold. This is could have been a gold medal if I can understand that the loading may have gotten in the way. But there you go. There we go. Let's move on. Long may this quality continue. <laughs> we say it every time. I know. Graham, it's over to you. And this time, it's Gilbert. Gilbert, escape from drill. Uh, yes. From the sublime to the ridiculous, uh-huh. isn't it? That's the that's the heroic leaps we take for you by playing these games so you don't have to. So I was in really I really enjoyed Project Firestart. So it was a bit of a come down for this. So this is Gilbert <laughs> Escape from Drill. $9.99. Okay. 10, 10 old quids, 40% though. Uh-oh. Yeah. Um, this is published by Again Again. Um, they did. Uh, they published the monsters. You remember that? We loved that, didn't we? The monsters. Oh dear. Yeah. Copyright is Tiger Developments. They uh, did the monsters. Yeah. Developer was Enigma Variations. They do quite a few games in the future. Um, <laughs> we said that before. They're a thingy, aren't they? And they're a Jean Michel track. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they did Operation Hormuz. If you remember that. No oh, God, that. 
Right, okay. This is coded by Mark Greenshields. Um, he did Bombo, Hades Nebula, and Split Personalities. Yeah, isn't he a gremlin stalwart? Well, yeah, I imagine this is all, you know, who knows how this came to be, really. Graphics of Pete Tattersall. He did Overlander and Force One. Remember Force One? And the musician is Barry Leach. Good old Barry Leach. Yeah, we like that. He's done loads of music. He's done loads of music. So Gilbert then. So Gilbert, the character of Gilbert, um, started life in in series two and three of an ITV kids show on British TV called Get Fresh. That's where he began. Mm Mm-hmm. In season one of that show, they had uh, Jean Samarco, who was the guy that played Adrian Mole, um, right. and nobody liked him. So he was replaced by a puppet named Gilbert the Alien, who was voiced <laughs> by Phil Cornwall. Wow, that's that's quite the uh, that's quite right, the, yeah, uh, yeah. We don't like you. We're replacing you with this alien <laughs> with this green thing. Gilbert became a fan favorite with the show's audience, I suppose, and spawned two spin-off TV series for Chinese television. That they were Gilbert's Fridge and Gilbert's Late, both in 1988 and in 1990. Um, now, there's a whole bunch of stuff written on Gilbert, uh, who was an alien from the planet Drill. And in the context of the TV show, he just kind of... I'll put, I'll put a couple of clips of the video clips into the show notes for anyone that's interested. But it, it's hard to explain what Gilbert did other than just sit and babble and talk complete and utter bullshit. Periodically interview famous people, but just ramble on like, like it's just, it's almost impossible. It's just kind of crazy off the wall. I don't know what you'd even describe it as. It's just, some people thought it was funny, I guess. It, it kind of, I don't know how to describe it. It was just kind of a character that did arguably funny stuff in the context of that show that, you know, you wouldn't normally get away with if you were not an alien from another planet. Mm. And the actual puppet itself was kind of a weird big green thing. There was always snot dribbling out of its nose. It's a pretty gross looking thing. Yeah. Very late 80s, early 90s kind of Vogue kind of thing. So, you know, remember that British TV is not a, not without its affinity for weird characters on things like this. We've had Roland Rat and we've had all that kind of stuff. So yeah. Gilbert's just another in the long line of weird puppet creatures. that Gordon the Gopher. Like. Gordon the, the Gopher. Howard, Ed the Duck. I say Howard the Duck. Then Howard the Duck. Yeah, Ed the Duck. <laughs> anyway, what does it all mean? Well... Okay, so we're gonna now we've got a game based on that character. We have. Uh now <laughs> um in spite of this supposedly being uh, a funny game, I guess. Okay, that was the plan, I think. It isn't funny at all. Okay, so it's this this it lacks any humour of any kind, which is kind of stupid. I mean, I don't know whether you got the joke or not with Gilbert. One of the key things was that he kind of had an erratic kind of humour that kind of babbled and that was that was the nature of Gilbert, and it was just kind of a babble talking crazy thing that did stupid stuff and some people like that some people didn't you're not going to get that from this game as such there is a story to this believe it or not and the story is as follows gilbert is feeling pleased with himself a jolly spiffing summer zipping about all over the earth has left him feeling like a superhero unfortunately the rest of his fellow drillians are not quite as happy in fact they are green and slimy with envy talk 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 rabbit 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 will gilbert never shut up about his time on earth luckily even gilbert has to stop for breath and just the things are getting back to normal, a telegram arrives from Earth to invite Gilbert back to do a new series. That's done it. The Drillians can take no more. They decide that the only way to avoid another winter of Gilbert's bragging is to stop him from getting to the Tiny T's television studios and signing his contract. This sounds alarmingly like the story for the Roland Rat game. Yeah, it saying. does a bit, yeah. What's all that about? Yeah. Anyway, the Millennium Dustbin has certainly, that's, I think that's his spaceship, has okay. certain important parts removed. Well, wouldn't you class the toilet as important? And spread about the planet of drill. The drillians remain tight-lipped about it. Not easy when you have a mouth the size of Gilbert's, but being jolly sporting types, they give them a chance of finding some clues to the whereabouts of the missing pieces. All drillians love a good video game, so they decide that if Gilbert can beat them at their favourite arcade game, they will give him a clue. It all sounds very easy to a being with a brain box the size of Gilbert's until he realises that he must reach Earth within 24 hours. Otherwise, the contract will be given 
to another superstar. Sounds alarmingly like the story for... <laughs> it really does. Yeah. It's the plot. It is, yeah. Yeah. So you are in control of Gilbert, so that's kind of what you do. You can walk, jump, float, and swim about drill, not all at the same time. This is from their instructions. Um, and you can protect yourself from the various weirdo creatures that will try to stop you by snotting at them. Um, by the way, you can't snot underwater. If he snots in a way enough creatures on one screen, he will see the hover jelly, which may drop an item of food when snotted, which can be picked up by running Gilbert over it. These food items are a tin of beans, which is used by Gilbert to give himself a bad attack of wind so he can float over the landscape. Or a piece of cake. Eating this while floating will cancel the effect of the floating. How? We will leave to your imagination. You can carry up to four items and you can use them by pressing keys one to four. Gilbert's supply of snot is limited but can be replenished by entering a milk bar in the city. In the corner of every milk bar, you will find one of the video machines that you can play by walking over to it. Once he has attempted a game, he must find the play and play another before returning to the previous game. And I'll explain those what those games are in the context of that in a moment. So essentially that's the game. Um, and following, uh, I suppose what you call a well-realized loading screen, you'll land on the title screen for this game. Some jolly music playing, nothing amazing, but nothing terrible. Kind of standard layout for that kind of screen. You can switch to having just the sound effects if you want to, and then uh, you can press fire and the game starts. The game window is split into two. The top three quarters is the game with the odd-looking and weirdly drawn backgrounds. Generally what look like castles or battlements to start with, lots of grey. Then as you wander on and around the world of drill, there are some woody tree-strewn areas, underwater areas, and sewers. There are also inside locations, principally milk bars or cafes, where you can, in some of them, find and place some of the in-game sort of games, um, which I'll again, I say, I'll explain those in a minute. Um, you are a small green sprite in this game, and I seem to be getting all the green games recently. Um, I guess you uh, I guess you look like a C64 version of Gilbert. I suppose not terrible. Uh, reasonable animation for what it is, which is kind of a blocky splat. You are constantly attacked on every screen by an array of enemies coming at you from all sides, and you seem very limited in what you can actually do to fight them off other than blowing your nose at things. Uh, there's a UI yeah. <laughs> at the bottom. Uh, bottom quarter, it shows your remaining time, score, how many bits of the ship you found, and I think the amount of snot you have remaining. Not quite clear what that was, and it's not explained anywhere. There are things you can pick up here and there, and you can pick these things up. And as like I said, you can carry four objects, and they are selectable with these one to four. So the mini games, then, such as they are, there are, uh, well, I think it's four or five. Um, so there's one called Brain Drain, where you, put, you play against a drilliant opponent in a test of memory, and you've got to try and so could match the tiles type thing. There's Sprout Wars, which you've got to save the sweet sprouts um, against the big, the big bad boogie boo that has attacked them. Shoot them with your leak. I, I can hear your size splitting from here, Adrian. <laughs> There's a game called Greed where you've got to collect the bags of Dosh in the correct order, but don't cross your path. Snot fight at the OK Corral. Snot them varmints, partner old bit. They're just, yeah. And then there's a bit, uh, there's Earth Invaders, the Earth, the Aliens' Revenge. Winning an arcade game will give you a clue to where Gilbert can find the missing piece of the Lendless. That's kind of the plan of the game. That's kind of how it works. Uh-huh. So the game is essentially a flick screen walk and seek game. My favourite, actually. My favourite kind of games. You do like them. And where you control Gilbert through a fairly large but dull maze of screens. In the tradition of these kind of things, you navigate left, right or up and down through doors and doorways. The map area is pretty extensive but looks very samey with some areas. There's a part when you're underwater. Literally just a blue blank screen, which is pretty rubbish to do that. Yep. There's nothing particularly funny going on. Gilbert was generally famous, like I said, or infamous for his constant babbling and rambling on and on, which of course doesn't play here because you don't get any of that. The notion of looking and walking around to find some pieces of a thing to achieve a final goal is a kind of tried and tested game formula. It's just not very exciting when it comes down to it. The main, the mini games are about the only interesting thing in this and they're actually slightly more fun uh, than the actual game itself. Walk around, get attacked constantly, pick things up, find things, walk around, maybe swim a bit, then walk around some more. Maybe there's an audience for that, maybe. 
but this is doing nothing exciting or interesting with the main character. So it just becomes another one of these dull walk and seek games to add to the endless list that we've already got. Maybe there's someone that likes this kind of thing and mapping this and might enjoy this a lot more than I did, but it won't because it's just not very funny at all. So there's just not, there's nothing to like about this game. That's my big problem with it. Mm-hmm. The only thing, the only endearing thing it had that you could like was Gilbert, the character of Gilbert itself. And they missed the mark so badly with that that you won't like it. Nope. So you just end up wandering around, snotting at things. It's boring to do that. <laughs> boring. Now this is available on so many other different variations of this. I mean, there's just nothing to this. Even, I mean, how many of these games have we played? These wandering around, wandering around, picking up the thing, move the thing over there. Against so many of them now, it's like, my God, have you not learned yet? So you can't make them like this. You know, you've got there is a countdown on this. You've only got, like I said, you've got twenty four hours on the UI display. It tells you like time ticking down. You won't be playing this for that long. No, and you won't. You won't, the thing is, you don't care whether he gets back to Earth or not. <laughs> There's no real imperative for it to happen. So this game is just wandering around location to location to location endlessly getting attacked and then periodically maybe you'll find a bit of the spaceship by the time you got to the second or third part you'll be you'll have wandered around so much of this map you will be bored out of your mind dreary a dreary nonsense and a, not really a very funny character not really a funny game so no i didn't think much to it 40 percent. i thought it was high for this because it's got a high price i'd have given this 20 25 at best this is rubbish um a rubbish game so and a lot of people seem to be involved with it but didn't they do the monsters and wasn't that a game where people were just wandering around and kind of lost the purpose of the characters that were in it because they just wandered around doing boring stuff yep honestly what a shocker terrible <laughs> what about you oh god <laughs> can i go back and play project firestar <laughs> was she a fan of gilbert actually because no. i don't remember us ever talking about gilbert my first comment here is, is i never liked gilbert <laughs> that's okay, it fair enough I never liked Gilbert and all the multimedia nonsense around him and all this, whatever there was. And this game does nothing to change that view. Nothing. No. But it just exacerbates it. I had no idea what I was supposed to be doing in this. I wandered around bizarre screens with enemies. How are the enemies? Nothing seemed to do much. Frogs bounce on, big purple sort of spacemen jump. Yeah. There's, what's, I, I seem to snot at them. I, 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 God, I don't know. They randomly moved around. So I meandered about. A boring drone of a tune careered on in the background. Uh, yeah, it's like you said, she's just dull. I managed to make it to a couple of arcade games, but I think, I don't know if something had bugged out on my copy because I was playing them, but I had nothing to controlling them. So I had the one where you had to match up pairs, but mm. there was there was no icon or anything on there. Okay. So I didn't know, which, didn't know which one I was picking. I gathered it. Right. I gathered it. It's just a pairs game, but like, uh, but that's not interesting. Just no, a pairs game. But, you know, and then again, I mean, if I had, I may have been inclined to carry on and that would have been, and I know, and that would have been good for no one. I did, didn't want to carry on. I was glad no. that didn't work. It just got me out of this. The, the graphics in this are ugly and bitty. The whole thing is just an incomprehensible mess of a game. No, I didn't like this. If I got hold of Gilbert, he would not escape my Black and Decker drill. That's all I can say. That's for sure. <laughs> Drill yeah, him right yeah. through his green snotty head. Yeah, I think that's probably the best thing to be done with him. <laughs> just, you just, what is this? <laughs> Why? Yeah. Why is the question? I don't know. Is, is Drill yeah. where he lives? Is that his yeah, that's home the name, planet? That's the name of the planet, yeah. All right, okay. So, I don't like those. No, it's rubbish. Let's move on. <laughs> it, it is rubbish. And I think, I think the reason... That it's because you won't have heard of any of that. I think half of the backstory and half of the stuff about Gilbert was, and and the part of the mainstay of his character, such as he was, is that most of it was just made up on the fly by the guy that did his voice. So yep. he just made stuff up all the time, constantly making stuff up, like just train of thought, making stuff up. Maybe some of it will land funny wise, maybe it won't. So most, most of it didn't. No, it certainly didn't. No. This game. Good. No, no, it certainly didn't. Rubbish. 
awful game. Let's move along. Let's leave let's leave Gilbert on drill where he deserves to stay. Yep. And let's move to our last game for this part. And that game is begins with G again. It's his Grand Monster Slam. Ooh. Grand Monster Slam. This is from Rainbow Arts. It's $9.99. This got 71%. Mm, did it. <laughs> this is the other game that seems to be from the same people who did Circus Attractions. So the developer here again is Golden Goblins. Um, and that is uh, Ralph Lacamper La on code. The graphics, once again, are by Olaf. Olaf Menges von Rauchhaupt and Andreas Gortz. And the music again is by Chris Hulsbeck. There you go. There's a backstory to this. So much backstory. Did you actually look at the uh, manual for this? So much. It's pages and pages long. I don't know what it is. Too much of the stupid stuff. Pages and pages and pages of backstory to this. I I can't, I couldn't force myself through most of it, but I tried to. But oh, I have no idea why all this backstory is here. It's like someone wrote reams of very important lore to justify this, this game. By God, they were going to get it in the manual. Uh, just as an aside, I'll give, you, I'll give you the first paragraph, all right? This is the first paragraph in the manual. Gold, spelt G-H-O-L-D, the world of six suns. Somewhere in the universe, beyond time and space, and also beyond the limits of our understanding, the world of gold, now here it's spelt capital G-H-O-L, capital D, exists. Don't gold do. Uh... Whatever. There, every morning, the sun rises in another direction, following the rhythm of a six-day week. What? A great, on, a great variety of beings populate the lands and seas of their home world, in which technology, in inverted commas, is not a known term. Whereas, however, magic does work. The history of gold spans several thousands of years, full of the rise and decline of mighty empires, full of great wars of good and bad fighting each other. But we have also to mention the times of peace and understanding, encompassing the most amazing cultural achievements. Whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I may, I'm not reading any more of this. But uh, uh, actually, I will read this. This is the layout for the game itself. So this is, this is the game. Since the reformation of game rules in the year uh, 11,216, the famous Grand Slam tournament has consisted of three leagues. The first match is an elimination contest with eight players, who fight each other in pairs. The pairs of opponents and the winners of this contest form the pairs of the second fight. Logically, only two players are left at the end of the second game. These two will then fight in the final in order to decide who is the winner of the first league. Well, uh, <laughs> Ergo, concordantly, <laughs> I feel like I'm uh, the Matrix. Totally, <laughs> it is, it's the architect. Matrix too. It's like, what? what? Hey? It is that guy. It is that guy. <laughs> Ergo, oh logically, only two players logically. are left and concordantly, concordantly. At the, end of the game. <laughs> it's like, what is this? <laughs> Wait, what that means, it's a knockout game. <laughs> so it's just, a, yeah. it's just a knockout. That's it. Yeah. How do you make a knockout game so complicated? Well, you get the architect involved. <laughs> oh, it's just a nightmare. Uh, the winners <laughs> of every fight have to... And there's an extra bit. The winners of every fight have to participate in an intermediate game after each game. This intermediate game is called Revenge of the Bellorns. As everyone knows, the FUMB, that's F-U-M-B in capitals, has pushed through this game part with great vigour. Goodness me. I feel like I've been kicked in the bellorns. (laughs) I don't know what this means. (laughs) All this gibberish better have a good game to back it up is what I was thinking at this point. I was like, there better be a good game here. Mm. Uh, so after much loading and some nice loading screens we get to the title screen a thing of note here is Chris Hulspec's music because it's very good throughout music, the is. music is good throughout this game so that's the one thing so on this screen we have an image of a dwarf smashing his hands together and we have some options we have the Grand Monster Slam main tournament we have training for Revenge of the Balloons, training for the Fulton feeding 
and the Hall of Fame. So essentially what we have here is a main event and two minigames taking part between each match. Why this needed so much backstory, I don't know. Oddly as well, for a game like this, it's one player only. No multiplayer, mm, which seems like stupid. quite the oversight. Just a bit. The longevity of these games is built around playing with your mates. Yep. And you take that away and you're left with, mm, what are you left with? Let's take the training first. Revenge of the Balloons, or whatever it's called. Once this loads, we see our dwarf from above holding a large pole with flat bits at either end. Around him will appear eight Balloons, I think they are. They look like, I think, Tribbles from Star Trek, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. I think that kind of thing. One of them will move, and one of them will move. One of them will start to move towards the dwarf. Your job is to thrust your pole in the direction of the oncoming balloon and bat it away. The issue here is that you can only thrust in six directions: up, down, and the diagonals. So top left, top right, bottom right, bottom left. So that's all you can thrust in. But you've got eight, one at each compass point. So there are ones to the side. For the ones that come in from the side, you must quickly press left or right and then fire. To move to a diagonal and then use the right hand way to thrust it. What now is new and now to you a bottom left is you know left is now top your forward diagonal. Oh, it just hurts your head. It's just ridiculous. So it's you know it's your, it's because your new forward is now something you just can't. It's so, just it's so ridiculous. Stupid. It's extremely counterintuitive and never seems to work. And you'll be dead so quickly. And there's no fun to be had here because one balloon gets to you. These very little things, and they all just wish you could, and they just spin around and they're yep. dead, done. Now, to yep. pass when you do actually do these things in the game, you've got to hit four of them. In all my trying of this, I did two. And that's because yep. none from the side came in. As soon as one from the side came in, my, my head, my brain broke, and they were got me. I was yep. like, I can't, yep. I can't do this. Stupid. Anyway. Onto the Fulton feed-in. Surely something must be good. We've got six Fultons. These are large bird-like creatures or something. Then They've got huge mouths, and they're perched on six ever-taller poles at the back of the screen. So you kind of got this 3D effect. You're at the bottom, mm -hmm. and they're at the top of the screen, and you're looking down towards them. Down like this, a tennis court kind of view. Like a tennis court view, yeah, from the back of the tennis court. So what happens here, the first one on the left will open its mouth. You know, in the foreground, your, this, your dwarf is there, and it's ready to kick one, and you've got six ballons on the ground, and you've got to basically boot it, into the waiting mouth that's it that's all you gotta do to do this you gotta hold down fire hold it for too short a time and let go and the shot will be too short um hold it for too long and it will go flying over the fulton's head when you let go you must hold it for just the right amount of time which you will never ever do <laughs> <laughs> not ever in all my trying and i played this one a lot never ever got one in just my dwarf on the floor hitting it crying there's no bar on screen or ui to give you any feedback Every shot I tried from a, from quite a lot went short or long. Scored none. Just ridiculous. Give me a power bar. Yep. You know, give me something, or give me you know, because the short one just hits the bottom of the pole. The long one just goes flying out, and there's nothing in between. I tried counting: one, two, let go, too high. One, let go, too short. One, let go, too high. Just ridiculous. I tried mm -hmm. stopwatch. I tried everything. Just rubbish. Um. So yeah. Deeply flawed as a game, and desperately needed some feedback to allow you to judge your shots better. So both of these training, that was just a training. So both of them, you know, you're never going to pass them if you actually do manage to get anywhere in the main game. So the main game. Once you choose this, you'll see eight people split into pairs um, on a screen. So there's all eight of them there. You'll be up against someone. The game is similar to the Fulton feeding in display. So you got that sort of back of the tennis court sort of image, that sort of yeah, style yeah. again. At the back of the screen, your opponent will be behind um, a line of six balloons, kind of like you were in the Fulton feeding. At the bottom, you are similar. The aim of the game here is to kick the balloons over to the other side and have the least, I think, left on your side by the time the game ends and try and aim them at the, uh, the opponent who's running back and forth, kicking his at you. 
uh, yeah, so I think that's what you got to do. However, the, the computer is ruthless, I found. They'll just pelt you with ballons, knocking you over and just winning in no time. They just battered me every time, every time. Every now and again, a duck will climb down, and I think you have to kick it. It's called something or other, but I didn't care by this point. I just lost all interest in the game. It was just, it, it, there's nothing here to latch on to. Three rubbish modes, no multiplayer. Granted, the, vis- the visuals... You know, it's a shame, actually, because the visuals and the music throughout this game are very nice. There's lots of nice shading. There's lots of nice backgrounds, similar to what we saw in Circus Attractions. Um, and the music's really good from Hulsbeck. But the games themselves, the actual coding and the actual the way that these controls, they're just terrible. Awful controls, no real feedback to the player, no real satisfaction on any level. At no point did I feel in control or I didn't even know what this game was. Is it a multi-event thing? Is it some crappy sort of fantasy-type sport? I don't know. I don't know what this is. I, I honestly don't understand this game. After Circus Attractions, uh, you know, that wasn't brilliant, but it had its moments. This is a really bad game. And, and I was just glad to see the back of it when I turned it off. I was like, no, I don't want to play this anymore. I thought this was going to be bad when, you know, I saw the novellas worth of stuff that was written in the manual. This guffed about six suns and gold and whatever nonsense. And oh, it's rubbish. How this got 71%, I will never know. There's barely a game here. It's just I didn't like this at all. What about you? Did you did you get any enjoyment out of uh, Grand Monster Slam? I like the music. Hey, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good music. Now, see, I remembered it this game, but I remembered it more for the Amiga version because mm-hmm. um, I had it. I remember. I think I must have played it more on the Amiga, and so the C sixty four version, okay. Um, but the music is good, and the graphics in that initial part are okay. A weird thing though, in it. <laughs> I mean, another multi event thing, but. And I suppose, are they imaginative games? I guess in a way they are, but I just found them all quite dull, actually, over time. The ideas, maybe they're there. The graphics, okay, some are half decent. They're, kind of not, they're quite nicely rendered. Some of the characters that you face, maybe they're good, I don't know. It's sort of, it's like it plays okay, and the loading screens are okay, and the music's all good. It's just the events are kind of dreary and, and meaningless. That's because, one word for them. Well, the trouble is with these is that the, the, there's no basis for any comparison for them other than, you know, the standard kind of sporting games. So you, you've got to make them interesting and funny or quirky. There's got to be a thing. The mm-hmm. reason that Caveman Olympics worked with crazy events is because they were funny and stupid stuff happened. If you take that out, then kicking them bell on things, whatever they are, or bombs, whatever they called them, um, and just, you know, and doing that kind of thing, just backwards and forwards and back and forth and back and forth. It's just boring it's yeah. meaningless boring whacking mm-hmm. them bellums with that giant stick you've got eight controls on a joystick naturally yeah. just use them yep yep and the trouble is your instincts are to do it that way because instinctively you've got you know you've got that control in your hand you'll be jabbing left and right i don't know why you're not yeah I it's just ridiculous it's just you make it and it's because it's they're trying to make it more i imagine it's marginally more difficult i don't know but it's it's just soulless um, whacking them things with the giant sticks, you, you'll get maybe one, two, but you won't get any more than that. Maybe you'll progress through the leagues, but it's just it's more of the same, I'm telling you. Um, so I don't know. I found the whole thing, it lacked personality. There's no personality of anything in it. Um, the monsters are kind of characters, but they just sort of are. Um, there's no character imperative or anything that makes you want to progress or... It's just kind of out there, and I just found myself sort of hammering these, kicking these things repeatedly backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, thinking, what am I doing this for? What's yep. the big goal? What am I going to win? What is the Grand Monster Slam? Why am I doing this? What's it? What's the point? And it's just because it, it just lacked all of the things that you need in a game like this to give it that imperative because it didn't have all of that. Nice production, 
but without the personality or even any humor in it, because it's completely humorless as well. It really tries at a quirky humor that just falls flat. It's like, you know, this, this is the equivalent of tumbleweeds every two seconds. It's just, this felt like a game with all the other nice bits, but all of, but none of it's soul. It was just a soulless experience. It just felt like this was just nothing. No, there's nothing going, nothing, nothing doing. So I am afraid, I like the music a lot, but I didn't like anything else. And the game's dreary in the end. Dreary, repetitive, kicky thing. No, thanks. No. No. Grand, grand monster slam. Yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't care for it. I did not care for it. No. So there we go. It started off also very well, and then as normally did, it went downhill, as it normally does. But there you go. So that's uh, part one. That's part one. We've done the first three games. There's two more to come after the, the next bit, but we're going to take a break now. When we come back, though, we will be looking at film and TV. Uh, from July 1989 in the UK. So please do stick around. And we are back. Let's get straight into the TV. It's an exciting month, I can tell you that. I think we really should have gone to I think we really should have buggered off to Tara Molinos. 10th of July, ITV introduces a second daily airing of Home and Away. Ooh. <laughs> and right. then, yeah. Uh, uh, yes, as you've noted, was this a response to BBC putting Neighbours on twice a day? Probably. Who cares? Probably. Um, I wasn't watching it at this point, so. No, it's the great Aussie Wars. I yeah, it is. Prob- yeah, probably. <laughs> Oh, much of a muchness, really. Yeah, but, um, you know, you could have watched it at lunchtime and then watched it again at tea time. Yes. Uh, 10th of July, also 10th of July, on the Channel 4 game show Countdown, the set receives mm. a re- redesign, and Carol Vorderman is promoted to being the show's co-host alongside Richard Whiteley. Mm. It's all going on this month, I tell yeah, you. That's so properly, uh, that's breaking news, that. They got rid of those for a while, did you know that? Did they? At the end of the countdown, at the end of the they countdown, of the 30 second count, yeah, at the end of the countdown, it used to go, it goes, did it, it used to go, where it originally went, did it, did it, did it, did it, did it, boo. Yeah, it did. And then for a while, they got rid of the boo part, and then there was like a proper almost rebellion to get the boo back, and so they brought it back. Rightly so. You can't have that. Did it, did it, did it, did it. Exactly, that's what it did. It's just Changed rubbish. It. <laughs> I know. You need the do bit. Yeah, you need to do. And you need um, Richard Whiteley's complete lack of enthusiasm about anything in that, for the first <laughs> 10 years of that show. Yeah, well, so true. what have you got then? Um, conquest. <laughs> All right, it's quite good that. But you, egg. Uh, conquest <laughs> wins. All right, next. So, Carol. Richard. <laughs> yeah. I seem to remember because Carol Vaudman was, she was, I don't remember being the co host. She used to do all the numbers and letters, but she didn't at first. They had a different woman in to do the letters, and Carol only did the I numbers. Don't that far back. And it, it was the first show ever on Channel 4, wasn't it? It was, yes, when Channel 4 launched in 1982, I think it was. Yeah, Countdown was the first program on. It was. See? You, you gotta yeah, have it. You can't. Booze, yeah. Anyway, 19th of July, the BBC documentary series Panorama accuses Shirley Porter, Conservative leader of Westminster City Council, of gerrymandering. <laughs> Honestly, it's all going it's such, on. <laughs> you know, that, that would be the least of our worries now. Do you know that? That's the, that's the crazy thing with the, yeah, with the politicians we have in charge. Gerrymandering would be the least of our bloody We've got criminals, for God's sake. So, got, <laughs> yep. got that hands down beaten here. Yep. For those who don't know what gerrymander is, it basically means you redefine the shapes where your where constituencies vote. So you can sort of put right. more Tory votes into one to make sure that you think it and sort of 
split the where you might not get as many votes in certain areas into two so you'll split the vote of a opponent's party essentially that's what it is it's called cracking as you've written here the manipulation may involve cracking Mm -hmm. diluting the voting power of the opposing party supporters across many districts or packing which is concentrating the opposing party's voting power in one district to reduce the voting power in other districts so i thought cracking and packing sounded like uh, an itv quiz itv uh detective show on ITV at 9pm. It is. It's also, ironically, what we used to do a lot of when we were getting cracking games and packing them because we used to try and get them down into a smaller file size as possible. Yeah, you did, yeah, yeah. Get them onto disc. Yeah, yeah. well cracked. Yeah. <laughs> well cracked. Didn't have any gerrymandering as far as I remember. But, no, yeah. no. There Stupid you go. name for something. <laughs> 25th of July, though, ITV is Don't Like Mondays, an episode of The Bill featuring a storyline in which several characters are caught up in a bank robbery. The episode sees the exit of PC Pete Ramsey, Placed by Nick Reading, who is shot in the chest by one of the robbers while protecting a colleague. The fate of the character is left unresolved. Well, it sees the exit of him, so I reckon he's dead. Well, or, or, or he might not be dead. Or I watched that episode. Yeah, I, I flicked through it for this podcast. So he's not protecting a colleague; he's preventing a colleague from running into the bank. Because Tosh, who's Tosh. one of the key characters, Tosh's character, his wife is in the bank. That's why he yeah, runs. Because I'm kids, going in there. Yeah. Because don't Tosh, it's dangerous. Because now I'm going in. Policeman tries to hold him back. <laughs> Back robber comes out, boom, shoots him with a shotgun, goes down. It's not very nice. Not very nice at all. It's high, it's high drama. It's very high drama. It was, for it was very Sun high Hill, drama. Or whatever it's called. It was, yeah. It was, uh, yeah. Um, there's really stupid bits in it, though. There's a part when the guy comes out of the bank robbery van, because they're always in a you know, van. They don't do any favors for uh, the sales of transit vans, do they? These no. <laughs> and um, he gets out, he's got a motorbike helmet on. He runs out and he just runs and he puts his hand on the bonnet of a police car, looks at them both, and then just goes, Oh, there's a police car there, and turns around and runs <laughs> the other way, and then just gets grabbed. It's like, it's it's so stupid. It's like even the beginning bit where they just pull a guy over oh, that guy, for yeah, no reason that, whatsoever. And also, yeah, a black guy. It just has to be a black guy. They just stop him. He's driving his van in a funny way. Yeah. <laughs> so he's just like, we're going to stop him. Pulls up, he's just, get out. It's like, no, that's how it works, is it? <laughs> just yeah. please just pull people over in their Fiat Panda and go, oh, get I out. Yeah, yeah, the police car at the start. I was like, oh, what is that car? <laughs> is that what the police yeah. used to drive? There's a reason why there's no high-speed chases in the bill, let me tell you. Yeah, because yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's it. New shows. Let's get some new shows. 5th of July, bangers a mash. <laughs> bangers, bangers a mash, a yeah. Mash. I, I watched that as well. It wasn't very good, though. No. Not very good. Animated no. show featuring in a in a weird town of monkeys that live up in trees. It's, sort of, it's really weird. They're like, it's got a detached monkey house in, in the, the monkey land. It's just um, It's like a family of monkeys and it's, you know, one's called Bangers and he goes, it's not, it's not like he's a sausage, is it? And then the other one goes, and this is mash. He isn't a pile of mashed up potato either. It's like, right, that's where we're going, is it? Okay. <laughs> the first episode it. was called Eggs is Eggs though, which did make me laugh. And uh, <laughs> the music eggs. was exactly as we've been, and we hadn't even, I hadn't seen that before and we were going bangers and mash, bangers, and that's exactly how the bloody theme goes. It's crazy. <laughs> it, was. it was Chaz and Dave, wasn't it? I know, I laughed, I laughed so loud. You even have a bit right at the end of the theme songs where they go, but what's that? He's bangers and he's mash. Hey! It's like, oh my lord. We could have written it. We probably did. We probably did. 9th of July is Chelworth. I found that on YouTube. Dreary. Yeah, this is a a new Earl, Michael Anstey, returns to England from Hong Kong to restore his family's estate. Sounds enthralling. Yeah, exciting. There was a shot in that where he goes down, sits near a table and answers the telephone. And I had haunting three flashbacks for a moment. <laughs> yeah, it just wasn't very good. I just saw Nigel Hayes, I think it was, on a balcony. I was like, oh, I'm done. Yeah. Uh, 10th of July. <laughs> That's enough for me. I'm never, Nigel Hayes can burn anything, but if I see that guy on a balcony, I'm out of here. I'm done. 
<laughs> the Havers effect is in full effect when that happens. We've all got our limits. Havers, get off that balcony. <laughs> We've all got our limits. You have a line in the sand. We won't cross. Mine is Nigel Havers on a balcony. <laughs> fair enough. That's fair enough. 10th of July, the Ozone. Okay. Um, this was kind of a sort of, what was this? It was like a sort of short thing, sort of pop. That's how pop, it started. Pop. It started like a, a pop sort of interviewee segment-y thing, and it sort of stretched into a bit longer. Yeah. It's where a lot of those sort of people that ended up being on BBC Kids, not Kids yeah, slash Teen a, a, TV. Andy Crane. So, was Andy... Andy Crane. Andy Watts. All of them were on it at a certain point. Not Andy and Mills, a lot of them made their careers. Um, yeah. There was Jane Middlemiss. was in this. She was, yeah, she, she, Steve was on it later. Later on, it added, yeah. uh, there's a guy in it who became quite famous for his interview on the Ozone with Mariah Carey, and way down mm. the line. Um, so, um, but in the sort of late 90s, he kind of flirted with her heavily. And Jamie, something of the reason he wants to camera. Oh, Jamie Thinkston. Yeah, he would. Yeah. yeah. So, so he was on it, of course. And it got quite sort of cheeky, tongue in cheek, a bit naughty, a bit winky, winky, naughty in that, in those, uh, you know, late 90s, mid 90s, early noughties sort of thing. And Jane Middlemiss, she is a Lauren to herself at that point. Yeah. <laughs> She used to be a page three girl, didn't she? She did. And then she, did. she disappeared for a while. The weird thing. Um, this was, did Top of the Pops. And then she, the last thing I could remember her in, I was trying to think because I, I did a search and I found like all sorts of pictures that, you know, think, oh my gosh, thank God it's, you know, this is not necessarily suitable for work material. I had. <laughs> but um, she, I found out that she would been, she was the first celebrity winner, female winner, obviously, on Celebrity Love Island back in 2005. Wow. So I just thought, but would she need to go on that? Who knows? Maybe she did. I was there back back in the day. She, all she needed to do was pick up the phone. I'd have been there like a rat at a trap. <laughs> she she would have. He would. Um, I did watch that really, really thrilling interview that Andy <laughs> Peters did with the uh, Jive Bunny creators, so, animators. So boring, isn't it? <laughs> what are you doing? I'm just drawing Jive Bunny. Just drawing, because you got to jive like this. Oh, then I pass it off to Pete and he, he digitizes it. Oh right, this is really thrilling. <laughs> I didn't know that, but you didn't know that uh, Jive Bunny was a was a Yorkshireman. Yeah, he's from Yorkshire. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, that's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's totally. You don't, you don't sound very excited about this. Well, we're not at all. I maybe. know it's it's, it's no. bloody Jive it's actually, Bunny. It's made my life way worse. <laughs> so I just all I can hear is that. Come on, everybody, come on! Like, it just keep playing it on loop for us. And then I couldn't find me shoe. And then I went outside and was, where's my shoe? And then I asked the next door neighbour and it turned out my shoe was at his house. I don't even know how it got there. Right, so thanks for that. It's interview. I'll see, see you later. <laughs> turned out my shoe was on my foot. <laughs> I never realised. I'd had it on all the time. I don't even remember writing Jive Bunny, but it turns out that I did. <laughs> Andrew. Okay, see you later. <laughs> Tara, you shitter. Um... <laughs> 19th of July was Interceptor. Yeah. Uh, this is some kind of in between Treasure Hunt and the other one, Annika Challenge Annika, whatever. Yeah, it's very much so weird. So the story, the, the theory, the, two people are let loose in a, in an area of land. Both of them have a key to each other's backpack. One of the That's backpacks right. has a thousand pound in it. One has a bunch of weights. They have Way to meet the same, up. Yeah. They have to meet up and then unlock each other's backpack. The problem is there are some instru- obstructions placed in their way. The principal amongst these was the titular interceptor who was a tall man dressed in black, armed with an infrared projector mounted on his left forearm and possessed of an intimidating fish eagle screech and a catchphrase, I like it, whenever he spotted a contestant from his helicopter or if he won at the end of an episode. Date is weird. Not kidding. That's, that's, I mean, wow. 
When I read, read what that was like, I'm like, I never saw it, and I'm kind of glad. I don't think I want to see that screech. A fish, What's a fish, fish eagle, eagle screech? I don't know. It doesn't sound good. I think it's kind of that classic eagle screech that you always hear in TV. Because fish don't, don't screech. Fish eagles do. It. It's a type of bird. Oh, is it? All right. I was yeah, thinking it's got some gills mixed... instead of wings. It's really weird. <laughs> it's manimal. <laughs> it's stupid. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> That's what? that guy from RoboCop. He says yeah. that. I don't get it. I don't understand. 23rd of July, back home. Yeah. Rusty is sent to a boarding school. I'm bored already. Yeah, no more of that. Good. Boring, boring 80s gush. N- yeah. Math. 26th of July, anything more would be greedy. It was some kind of mini series, wasn't it? But yeah. Who did this? Who cares? Martin Wenner, Sharon. No, no one knows these people. Don't care. No, no. Series begins the story of a group of Cambridge students and their lives in the 10 years following their graduation. Sounds like a crap version of that one that would be on um, BBC Two, This Life. Yeah, it's got um, Simon Cadell in it. He was in loads of stuff around that time, wasn't he? Weird, long-headed kind of guy, long-faced guy. Oh, it's got Hayley Mills in as well. Yeah. She plays Peggy yeah. Dickinson. Good old Peggy Dickinson. I know, right. That's it. That was it for TV. God. We were we we were out playing. We were stacked. out doing other stuff. Stacked for we TV. Were, absolutely. If however, if you wanted to go to the cinema, sixth of July, who's Harry Crumb? Who indeed? It, well, it's John Candy, isn't it? It's John Candy. It was. It's the John Candy vehicle. This was the the film to set John Candy amongst the greats. It didn't though, did it? Patrick, no. because he plays a guy who is a master of money disguises, all of which look exactly like a great big <laughs> John giant. Candy. John Candy guy. <laughs> yeah. No matter what he does, he looks like John Candy. There's no escaping that. There is not. Mm, Those two scenes you linked to as well were... Uh... It's not good, is it? He, 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 yeah, I, I, I'm i loath to put one of them in the show notes because it's kind of borderline offensive dubious. Yeah. It's on YouTube and so maybe, but either way, if you just use your imagination. He disguises himself as a guy from Hungary. I'm going to leave it there. It's just it's, yeah. not very, it's not very tasteful at all anyway. And... um. There's a there's another one which is labelled oh, Harry Crumb's best, best, best scene. scene. If that's the best it's just scene, rubbish. Then God help us all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just not it's not very good. It's one of those kind of <laughs> there's, there was a, a a little truck of films that came around that were kind of like they were like short fire gag movies, all kind of suckling at the naked gun teeth, but nowhere near as good as any of that. No. So just trying to try and find that sort of you know sort of silly. There's a little bit of Fletch in this, but it's kind of a sillier version. There's the it's just he never really was in a, any great great films that he was a headliner, maybe Uncle Buck, but he was always a really good character in, in other films with another comedian. So whenever he did that, um, John Candy films tended to be really good. Yeah. So, you know, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, for example. So I don't know, but this isn't a very or, good film and it's not or, very funny. Or Stripes. Or Stripes. Ball, really. or he's, stripes, stripes yeah. he's, he's, he's good in things where he's not the main character, apart yes. from Uncle Buck, apart from that one film. Yeah. Uh, 7th of July, you could have gone seen Skin Deep. Ooh, don't. Rubbish. <laughs> what is it? I don't even know what it it's is. A, it's a John Ritter film. Um, it's not uh, very exciting. I've just, yeah. highlight, I've just clicked on the link and the drop down has made me feel a bit ill. Yeah, it's just, it was meant to be. John Ritter was kind of a very popular. For some Harry, reason, I can't Harry explain. Ritter. John Ritter, Ritter was in a load of films in and around this time. He just loads of them came out one after another. Um, and this is one of them. It might even be the vanguard for all the others, but there was quite a few where he was just, he seemed to be in loads of things one after another. Yeah. Um, so no one I never really why. liked him. No, he was in um, this one with that kid that's really evil in it. I can't remember what that one's called. It's a comedy one, but um, anyway, there's a few of them like that. It's just in loads of stuff. Uh, yeah. Uh, if you didn't fancy Skin Deep, you could have gone seen Farewell to the King. Yeah, I've never seen, seen that. Have you seen it? John Miller's directed I don't think that. so, no. It's Nick Nolte in it. I might have done. Um, mm-hmm. 
It might be one of those. I think my brother might have got on video and I kind of watched it, but I don't really remember much about it. So, uh, no. Um, I'll track it down. Yeah. 21st of July, Police Academy 6, City Under Siege. <laughs> Do you know, this is directed by a guy called Peter Boners. <laughs> That's his actual name. This is B O N E R Z, Boners. I'm making it up. You can check that out. Do you think he was hired on the strength of his name? Yes, absolutely he was, yeah. And his, his director of photography was Mr. Largecock. And those big balls was the, uh, the, 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 the one of the other technicians. Best boy and gaffer were Hugh and Large Anus. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's just Peter Boners. I mean, it's a good name for, for this kind of thing. Rubbish film, though, really rubbish. Usual storyline for these things. You know, some goons successfully orchestrate a crime wave. The Academy cadets and a series of people who've been in it for too long um, walk around doing stupid crap with periodic noises. Tackleberry shoots his gun and his guns are bigger than ever. He has a silly Rene moment with that woman all the time. High tower tips a car over, the squeaky one squeaks. You know, and you'll then, get and the then shouts, yeah. The only difference is this has got Matt McCoy in it. And I hate Matt McCoy. I who, hate is him. Ma- who is Matt McCoy? Matt McCoy is a smug faced toss bag who's in those <laughs> some of those films. He's in quite a few of those kind of films. Is the replacement for um Steve Guttenberg is like the oh. Guttenberg replacement, oh, which is a, sounds like a very complicated equation. <laughs> the Guttenberg substitute. Yeah, that's what he is. So you're, when you see him, if you Google him, you'll know what I mean, and you'll know exactly he's the guy that's in those films as the smug bastard. That's his, that's his character <laughs> name, I'm sure of it. So. <laughs> Probably. No, he's not uh. as smug as the guy in, in um, Die Hard, you know. Hans, I'm going to give him to you. He's not as sm- smug as that guy. That's like the smuggest guy in the universe. Oh, um, oh, what's his name? Want to get shot? Yeah, <laughs> so it's not yeah. as smug as him, but is Matt McCoy um, is a smug booby? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's not as smug as that. That's the, that's smugness in the extreme, extreme is it, is smuggery. It, is it Elias? Something like that, isn't it? But anyway, Matt McCoy is not that guy, but Matt I mean, McCoy is as smug as that. And you'll, if, if you Google him, you'll know exactly who I mean. He's been he's in loads of these kind of films in the oh, exact I'm same to Google role. Him now, aren't I? Hang on. Yes. As soon as you see him, you will be like, oh, it's him. Oh, it's him. Smug. Exactly. <laughs> Smuggy. Smuggy McGee. <laughs> Smuggy McGinty. <laughs> anyway, now you know. Now you know what it is. I do. But do oh. you? Oh, I do now. Yeah. I'm not looking at him anymore. Yeah. He's too smug for my no. liking. He's it too orange, you could Also, 21st <laughs> July, you could have gone seen Eight Men Out. Never heard of it. Uh, I've heard like of it. It's about football or sports. No, it's about baseball. It's about yeah. um, the Red Sox and like eight of the Boston Red Sox, basically in like 1919 or 1920, something like that. They, were, they, were, they weren't getting paid enough. So they threw a match to get loads of money through betting and then they got prosecuted okay. for it. It's a true story. You should have gone to see neither of those. So what you should have gone to see was the next one, which is Mac and Me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> What, what is it? It's just a crappy tea, isn't it? It's worse than that. This is a, it's a McDonald's advert. Is that what it is? I've never, I've never watched mm. it. All I've, seen, uh, I've seen the pictures of Mac, and he's running around looking like a shit pob. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he look, he's got a face like an asshole. Is it's that, not a good ooh, look for an alien. Yes, honestly. I think Gary used to do an impression of him, didn't he? I'm pretty sure <laughs> Gary used to do an impression of uh, Mac. He's got, I was just ooh. wondering which, which part of Gary's anatomy you're talking about. But. <laughs> face. His face. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. But um, I'm sure he did. I'm sure Gary used to sit there going, ooh. I'm sure he did. He used to make me laugh. Um, <laughs> he might have just done that anyway without knowing about this movie, to be fair. He's a, he's a guy with many talents. Many true. talents, indeed. Um, is, this is a crap film about an alien that comes from space that... Um, 
it's an ET ripoff, but it's got something, you know, basically McDonald's paid for it. So there's entire sequences in it where they're in McDonald's restaurants eating burgers and the, and yeah. the, the alien itself can only get, get better if he eats burgers. And he calls him Mac. <laughs> he does because he because yeah. of the mcdonald's yeah I think. Something to but do McDonald's. the the scene you've linked to the wheelchair scene had me the bit <laughs> where he falls off the cliff just <laughs> he fell off my chair <laughs> which seemed ironic but it's become a bit of an it, it weirdly became a bit of an internet meme that because of do you know the guy that plays ant-man paul rudd paul rudd yeah he, it's it's his it's like the one scene of a film that he he took the clip on a memory stick and he goes to um conan what's his name the interviewer you know that he does that show where he's yeah, like conan o'brien yeah chat show yeah Every time he goes on, he takes that clip and they show it. It's like a like a running <laughs> meme, and it has done for years because he thinks it's the funniest, one of the funniest scenes ever made in any movie. Yeah, he's not wrong. He's <laughs> <laughs> hilarious. It's so crap. You're thinking it as he's rolling down a hill. He's like, okay, and then he just goes off a cliff. <laughs> just a kid falling <laughs> off a cliff in a wheelchair. On a wheelchair. A kid in a wheelchair. I know it doesn't sound amusing, but it is. Well, it's clear. It clearly shifts to being a, a dummy in a wheelchair <laughs> yeah. at a certain point. It's, it's so not even a real wheelchair. It's a dummy wheelchair. <laughs> And then it's the way that the Mac character, the alien, goes into the water and pushes him. Oh, it's so bad. And he's still in the wheelchair. It's... <laughs> like that wouldn't have sunk. So stupid. <laughs> yeah, and he, just, he doesn't, you notice know, he didn't actually look that wet either when he pushes him out of the water. He, he did it's not, very, no. It's very strange. And the way that Mac just floats back down into the water with his mouth open, because he can't close it, obviously. They didn't animate, you know, the animatronic didn't have a yeah. closed mouth, so he's just going to swallow loads of water yeah, and drown, it's probably. dumb film. Oh, finally, I tell you, there's not a lot for TV and film this month. 28th of July, you could have gone seen The Land Before Time. One to take the kids to. Summer holidays have started. Yeah, nice film for kids is nice. Gary really likes The Land Before Time. He does, doesn't he? He used to go on and on yeah. about it. Yeah, yup, yup, yup. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was never much of a fan myself, but... Yeah. No, it's not my thing at all. No, no, I don't. No. It's, that, cause it's that baby voice that comes out of loads of these kind of animated yeah. things. Is it a Don Bluth one? Though? I was going to say, the... I think it, I think it is. It's the big Don Bluth one. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it yeah, is. Yeah, so, because he did a few out. Again, he was somewhere else. I just had a sudden sort of slew of films came out, didn't there? There was This Old Dog's Go to Heaven and a few like that. Was it The Secret of Nim was one of his, I think, or Nima, whatever you, however you say that. And It's Nim, I think, isn't it? Couple, I always said Nim. Yeah, and then there was there was the other one with the batty in it as well. And Yeah, direction by Don Bluth. Yeah. And executive produced go. by Lucas and Spielberg. Oh, there you go. The magic formula. <laughs> yeah. They uh, <laughs> they rubbed themselves against each cell. Um, yeah, and that's it. it. That was it. It's the summer. You know, what can we say? Summer months, yeah. Summer loving happened so fast. And it did happen so fast. That's it. That's it for TV and film. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We've still got two games. It's only two, but what can you do? We've got some crapverts, though. Charts and things like that. Let's see what we've got next week. Ooh la la. All right, we'll see you in a moment. And we are back. We are back for the final part to cover the last couple of games from July 1989. Graham, it's over to you with the first one, and that is Stormlord. Uh, so, uh, Stormlord, wow, okay, nine ninety nine. this, 80%. Okay. Published by Hewson. Mm. The concept was by Raphael Checo. Is that how it's pronounced? Checo? I think so, yeah. Checo, Checo. Uh, and Nick Jones. The code was by Nick Jones. Uh, this is the basically the people that did Cybernoid, Cybernoid 2, Exelon, Equinox, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, graphics are huge bins. We know we like our huge bin graphics. He did Cybernoid and all that. Title screen, huge bins. Cybernoid. Now, music's interesting. According to the game credits, it says it's Charles Deenan and Jerome Tell. That's in the actual game itself. According to the credits okay. on Lemon and in HVSC, it's Johan Biergaard and 
Jerome Tell. It's the Maniacs mm. of Noise, but which Maniac was doing what? It could be the in-game music. There's some loading music. It could be all three. could be any one of them. Who knows? But, Who was you know, pushing but anyway, the Anyway, they did it. Them's, it's them what did it, which is nice, isn't it? Always nice when things like that happen. Right. Okay. So there's a little bit to unpack with Stormlord. Bit of a powerhouse team, isn't it, really, um, with Stormlord? So we've got um, quite a talented bunch at the helm here. So things could be good. Great loading screen, I think, and sort of loader. Really cool sample-filled music. A tad on the doesn't quite go with the game side, maybe, as it progresses into it. And um, some really weird sounding samples, but it sounds pretty cool, I have to say. It's, it's, it is good at what it is. And then to the title screen. Title screen has some really nicely drawn graphics that are in the game as well. Some simple options about keyboard and joystick. The music, again, very good. The Maniacs of Noise are on full form in this game. They really they bring are. the game. They bring it, bring, yeah. They're bringing it. They're doing it. They're bringing it. So what's it all about then? What's, what on earth are we talking about? Stormlord, eh? So it says in the blurb, if you like, and there's a little bit of what it says is the scenario. So I'll read the scenario. It says, the scroll is the last chance we may have before the coming of Bad the Crone. We, the fairy guardians, lived in harmony with the realm, watching over it, protecting all of its creatures. The realm was famed throughout the land of Lynn, and that looks like to me it says Terig as a place of wonder, but I'm trying to read, it's like written in kind of scripted writing, so it's quite hard. Mm -hmm. Peace and beauty. Word of the realm reached the ears of the Elwoods, and so came the rotting crone to suck the realm's life force and to prevent her body decaying further. She imprisoned my sisters and I. Without us to care for it, the realm will die. I have commanded Mal Avin, the Great Eagle, to help you. I'm sorry if that's not what it says, but it's, I'm trying to read it here. Please hurry, Stormlord, before it's too late. That's from Rose the Fairy. Okay. Stormlord's mission, free the captured fairies in brackets, mm -hmm. and defend the peace and tranquility of this realm. Unfortunately, he must repel the wicked monarch, but should he fail, the evil queen and her dark sovereignty will reign forever. The game objective is to release the impounded fairies before the time runs out. Each level of the game has a small number of fairies that must be released before you can progress on to the next level. Scattered about Stormlord's world are various objects that uh, must be used intelligently to free the fairies and help get through certain parts of the world. To pick up an object or to swap an already held object with one on the ground, simply walk into it. Only time and practice will grace you with the knowledge of where to use certain objects and in what order they should be used. You will encounter Venus flytraps, huge worms, flies, dragons, and many more foes on your travels, all of which must be either destroyed or avoided at all costs. To gain access to far and remote parts of the world, powerful springboards can be used to cover large distances in a few seconds. To use a springboard, simply step onto the middle of it and you'll be propelled into the air. And I'll talk about the sub-game and everything else. So that's essentially, that's it. Not a, what you call a War and Peace novel novella there. You know, the fairies have been captured. This nasty stuff's going to happen if you don't go and release them. That's it. Yeah. That's the game. That's it. Okay. So once you've got through that and that's the, 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 the hub of the game, you can press the fire button on that title screen if you've listened to enough of the music and your game will begin. First thing that will hit you is the quality of the graphics in this game straight away, even from the title screen. But as soon as you land on that main screen, from the main Stormlord sprite, which is very well drawn and animated and quite detailed, through to the vibrant colors and details of the background, this is nicely put together and it hits you like a brick. Pow! Yeah, really good looking. It is very pretty, this game. Mm -hmm. um, I'll mention it now. There's a lot of well-developed fairies in this game and the in-game graphics in general, even if even the manual is a bit of that. I suppose it's all fantasy, I guess, really. But it's a little bit odd and probably a bit unnecessary, all told, really, all of that sort of fairy boobage. But anyway, it's there. So, and I'll try not to go on about it, but they are there. You can't really avoid it. There seems to be a lot more than there should be. The main upper three quarters is the game window, which is where you will move your Stormlord character around as you attempt to find all the fairies. The bottom quarter is the really nice looking UI, which gives you your current lives, the elapsed time represented by a sun and a moon, your score, 
the object you are currently holding on nothing if you've got nothing to hold, and both the number of fairies you have collected and the number of them that remain on the level, all in a kind of nice display that's really beautifully rendered. I can't explain how pretty this game is. It's very pretty. Because it really does look the part. You control things with the joystick, left and right to move, up, diagonals to jump, fire to shoot. You can do what sort of shoot fireballs. I think they're fireballs or some kind of ball thing. And daggers if you hold the button down. So you can just kind of either shoot daggers straight out or you kind of spill things out of you at kind of an arc. And that's kind of how you shoot in the game. There are no sound effects in the game at all. It's just music all the way through. Yes, it is. As you walk and jump around, the screen scrolls with you more or less in the centre of things. The fairies are scattered about the level, sometimes behind doors or in difficult to reach spots. So part of the puzzle of the game is to figure out how to get to them. Dotted around are a range of objects for you to use. Honey to bait bees, umbrellas and keys. Didn't mean that to rhyme, by the way. Um, there are also <laughs> springboards, which you can use to fly about to different parts, as I already explained. So inevitably, you will end up going left and right, walking through the various screens to pick up the key, to go to the other side, to open the door, to go to the other thing, to use the springboard, to go back, that kind of thing. Oh dear. That's the first oh dear. On almost all the screens, you are under pretty much constant attack from the various enemies. They're not really attacking you. They're just bloody well annoying and kind of in the way. They do attack some of them. Some of them just spill into the screen. Some are fast, and so you can shoot some of them. Some are too fast for you to be able to avoid or shoot. Chances are you'll probably need to avoid more than you will shoot them or shoot and avoid. There's a little bit of tactic involved, but there's a lot of them to try and navigate in this small space. There's also various hazards that you'll need to do. Some of them where you've got to walk under drops that are things that are flying in the air and things like that, yeah. or certain things you can land on and you can't, all with perfect timing. We had the same problem with Cybernoid and Cybernoid 2 in that respect. Mm-hmm. These kind of and silly puzzles. And Exelon. It's, it's, it's not doing anything that those games didn't do, but we'd not learn from those well. And that's how the game plays out. Get the required number of fairies and you'll go onto the end of level subgame. The end of level subgame is a bit weird. When all the fairies have been released, Stormlord will take part in this mini game in order to try and gain an extra life. The objective of this subgame is to capture as many fairy tiers as possible within an allocated time. An extra life is awarded when more than 10 tiers have been collected. Instead of throwing thunderbolts and swords as normal, they're thunderbolts? No, they're not. Right. Um, <laughs> Stormlord will now blow a limited number of kisses represented by red hearts at the flying fairies. If a heart should touch a fairy, she will fall in love. Drop a tier for Stormlord to collect and then fly away. But be quick, as the tears will dissolve into the ground quite soon after the landing, as Roy Barty said, like tears in the rain. He was right. He was <laughs> right in about rain. that. Yeah, absolutely right he was. So if you do that, and you've obviously then you get the, you know, if you get an extra life or you won't, I can pretty much guarantee that you ain't gonna. You go on to the next level where you've got slightly more foes to collect, more puzzle things to sort of go around, more left and right to do, more picking up the umbrellas to swap it with the honey to get the bees, to get to the trees, da 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 uh-huh. Stormler is a beautiful looking and sounding game. Of that, there is no doubt. The problem here is one of game design. It's an evil combination of being somewhat repetitive and as a result of that, a bit dull and also overly difficult. So you start with eight lives, which you'll burn through in no time. You'll you'll get straight through them. Most of the mm-hmm. enemies will wipe you out pretty quickly, and almost all of them can move faster than you. So you can't always even get away from them if you wanted to, which you which you you won't be able to. The scenery has parts that just dissolve or vanish, which is a game mechanic I actually hate. I hate that. Yep. And um, because that's because you're gonna die, you're gonna lose a life because of, and not through any fault of your own. There's no warning that's gonna happen. You just have to remember it for next time. That's just it's a low blow. It's a cheap trick. It's a naff game mechanic to put in there, and I, I actually hate that. So some of the scenery kills you as well, and some of them, the scenery looks a bit like enemies. So when the enemies look like the scenery, it's difficult to know what you can trust. That's a problem in a game that's all scenery and enemies, because you don't know where the where, to, where the blend is. And some of these things, it's just a trap. These games, are some of the puzzles in this are not puzzles, they're just boring traps. Mm-hmm. And once you know the trap, you know about it, so you're not going to do it again, but you've got to go through the pain barrier. 
So, and because of this, the way the game progresses, the way this game progresses, you would have to repeatedly play this so many times and remember every single place where every single thing was, all the way through all the levels on it. Are you going to want to do that? Is that really what you're going to do? No. I don't know about that. So I find that quite frustrating when you get games like that. Now, like I said, there's some difficult timing things in here as well thrown in and some fairly slow movement. So you kind of don't walk that fast in the game. You're not slow, slow, but you're not fast, fast. And there's other enemies that are. Try to get under the little timing drops is because sometimes you'll go through a drop from the right to the left. You'll get straight through. But because it's pitched on a slightly higher elevated point, you've got to jump back through that to get through it. And jumping back through them almost inevitably gets you killed. Yep. So there's, there's silly traps in this game. There's more traps than, than puzzles, and that's annoying. Um, you do have a moment of invincibility when you respawn, but generally you'll lose your lives in rapid succession because it doesn't really help you. In fact, you can end up trapped because you took advantage of that by skipping through something. You'll end up in a situation where you think, oh, now I'm stuck. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a game that you really want to like because it just looks so good and sounds so good. So much attention to detail and lots of fairy breasts as well, I guess. And from the outside, this looks like it should should be one of the all-time sort of C64 super games. Like, all the, as all the graphics and the sound, all that was bangery. All the things that we've said, oh, some of these games just haven't got that. This one comes along, really seals the deal on all of that and really ups the ante, I think, for what quality the graphics can be on the C64. No doubt about that. But there's no getting away from the dullness of going left to right to pick up a key, to go to the right, to open the door, to go to the left, to go to the thing, to die under the blob, to do that. It's point. It's just pointless. It's like a pointless Super Mario game with a barbarian big booed fairies. And nobody wanted that, did they? Also, the constant enemies make it draining and tiresome. If you have a game where the object is to solve puzzles and explore, don't fill every screen with pointlessly difficult enemies or daft obstacles or traps. Have some, but measure this or make it a run and gun so you don't have so many puzzles and you have better weapons and you can throw more exciting things and you can make yourself more powerful. If that's the answer to trying, you know, that's normally the answer to filling a screen full of crap. This is kind of a weird combination. You don't upgrade to anything. So you you can be no more powerful than you are. Mm. And you're always overwhelmed by the odds against you, including silly things where you you don't even know it's going to be a trap. It's just, you're suddenly walking along something, it disappears, you're dead. Stupid. So I always like the music for this. There's no doubt about that. The visuals are really, really pretty. The game is sadly dreary too difficult and really it's just kind of it's missing the mark isn't it because of that so so much to like just a pity the game design wasn't there behind it so i i have to say i'll always like the music but what about you um exactly the same and i do remember this this was actually another of those games i played there's a few in 1989 that i did play because it's single load and it was like oh that looks that yeah, looks good yeah, yeah. it looks great tape, yeah. and so i remember getting it and then and even and i remember then i got absolutely nowhere with it due to the ridiculous difficulty level it just comes with all the checo the checo uh, jones games they're just ridiculous they're, just, mm. they're not approachable but like you know like the rest it looks gorgeous it's got some amazing pixel art throughout it it sounds amazing some great maniacs and noise music but it surrounds a heart that is poisonous and just plain hates you. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what it is. So there's wandering about. I mean, you wander about with a name like Stormlord. You've got, you're called Stormlord. And on the front cover, you're like wielding this sword and you're flinging and you mm. look all powerful. You'd expect to be a bit powerful. But if you get like a nip, just a nip from a plant, you lose a life. Yep. I mean, I'm tr- treading on nettles. I'm not dead. And I'm no Stormlord. Yeah. Just, uh, it doesn't, these things don't add up. Yeah, they don't, exactly. they don't make sense. You shouldn't die from a plant. And like you said, those cheap things like walk through one way, but then you drop down and have to jump. And because you're jumping, you're slower. But the jump felt weird as well because it's controllable jump, isn't it? So you have to keep it pushed yeah. to the right or left. We're not kind of used to. You kind of just jump. So there was some of that, but it just didn't, I don't know, it didn't feel right because you've got to keep it pushed up. And it's all just a bit weird. Uh, it's just as ever with one of these games. I also found the collision detection isn't on your side either. No, no, it's, it's not. It's really punishing. <sighs> 
I wanted to like this. There is a lot to like from a visual and oral standpoint, oral standpoint, sorry, but the game is just unpleasant to play and it just wants, yes. it just, you know, there's nothing enjoyable about it. So no, it's just, it's a toned the difficulty down, just yeah. made it a bit more approachable. You could have had a really nice game here where you feeling like, oh yeah, because I, I want to explore these beautiful locales. I yes, want to go exactly. and explore them and, but I don't feel I can. I really like the, you know, the notion of flipping back, and I quite like the sort of bouncy pads and going mm. back and sort of thing. And there's some of the little puzzles, not much in the way of puzzles, but collecting the fairies and things like that. It's all that's all cool. But just the level layout, and when the monsters appear, they just spew on. And like, there's one bit where they're just yeah. sort of dropping from the ceiling and hatching from eggs, and there's yeah. no way you can manage them. Just no, no way. It's just ridiculous. But it, it's literally like we said, Cyberoid, Cyberoid Two. Exelon, the list is just goes on and on. It's just what we've come to expect from these guys. It's just another one, beautiful to look yeah. at, list great to listen to, but stupidly hard and, and eventually just you know wears you down. I don't yeah. know if the second one, Deliverance, whatever it's called, Stormlord Two, is any better. I, I reckon it'll be, be more. Of the, I reckon it'll be more of the same. Well, Cybernoid Two didn't improve on Cybernoid, did it? It was principally the same problem. So yeah, exactly. And yeah, they don't seem to have learned from any of these games it's the same no they don't it's the same problems every time yeah we've said it about every yeah. single one of these games yeah every single one there we go no worries oh well Stormlord it's, it's a 66 percenter in it because it's two-thirds good yeah yeah, yeah. And the main third yeah. is the gameplay, which is not there. Right, there we go, that's Stormlord. Let's move on to our last game for July. And that game, well, this is Jack Nicholas's greatest 18 holes of major championship golf. Okay. Uh, this is another challenger to the mighty leaderboard. And even if it's not as good, it at least takes the title for the longest name we've yet had on the podcast. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine words. Oof. Don't think we've had Front anything. row. I think Alice, Alice in Videoland, the further adventures, the further adventures of Alice in Videoland, I think was maybe yeah, the last one before that. This is released by Accolade. It's an Accolade game. Mm-hmm. We like Accolade games normally. This is by Sculptured Software. I, was like, I recognize that. Who were they? They did Sport of Kings and The Living uh, Daylights, Street Surfer, LA SWAT, and Ninja. Uh, <laughs> What's the Ninja song? It's like, there is the ninja. ninja I can't see him anymore. Where <laughs> is one. that ninja <laughs> friend of mine? That's the one. <laughs> That's him. Um, <laughs> uh, this is by stuff. It's got Ned Martin, good old Neddy Ned Martin designing this. It's got Sam Nelson producing mm. and Kenneth Moore on code and everything else, I guess. And no one on no one on music because there's none. No. There is no music. At the time, this was an all disc affair. Eventually offered loads of extra courses to play through, but here we've just the two to go out when the game loads. And they are Castle Pines or Desert Mountain. There's a loading mm. screen of sorts, I guess, with a golf course, but it's all right. What's picked, you can choose between playing skins or stroke play. Um mm. and whether to play one player in stroke or two to four in either stroke or skin. So skins has two to four players. Stroke play, you can play one. You play on your own. Uh, the difference between the two is stroke play. This is weird. It's where the holes are, are designated a dollar amount, and the player who takes the most money wins. It's similar weird. to match play. So match play being uh, who, who gets the lowest stroke on each one, but each one adds up. Each hole is worth a, a different dollar amount, so it works that out. It's basically rich American golfers betting against each other without betting. I think that's what it was. I think it was invented by Lee Trevino or something. Stroke plays classic golf with a player with the least amount of strokes over all the holes being the winner. You know, it's golf. You then get some options to play as male or female, whether to play as yourself or one of the eight included golfers. These are Jack Nicholas, Nancy D, Lars X, Babs R, Art M, Natasha, Eddie C, Sally C, or Curly O. 
Well, okay. All of whom have different characteristics, strengths, and weaknesses, supposedly. There are two difficulty levels, beginner and expert. Beginner, suffering no wind effects and a lessening of hook and slice, and expert getting all the wind and the power of the hook or slice. So that's what it is. You can also choose between the position of the tees, but when you tee off, you can go from the pro, so that's the furthest away, to men's, which is the next furthest away, to women, which is the closest. Once you have chosen all this, you start the game and wait for more options to load. Uh, At this point, you can play around, you can practice a hole, you can go to the driving range the putting range or you can just quit i'm just going to focus on playing around all the rest are obvious all right i'm not going to bother sort of talking you through practicing a hole or going to the driving range hit a ball or putting range whatever because they're all part of the main game choosing this loads the first hole and we get a view of the hole from above on a notice board and every now and again we might get some wise words from jack nicholas himself be careful (laughs) the approach approach the approach to the green is simple but there's a trap behind it yeah i can see never use petrol on your barbecue Absolutely. <laughs> Don't eat yellow snow. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> always always willing to help. <laughs> Pressing fire brings us into the game via some more loading. The layout of the screen has the UI at the bottom. And I can't help but feel this has been ported from the Amiga with no real thought to it. Yeah, it didn't um, just. In the, in the middle of the UI is the whole info. Okay, so it's what you kind of need. you got your, your player. So which player number it is, you know, we play one, two, three, or four. The hole number, which so which really the stroke number, so how many strokes you've had, the path of the hole and the distance. Information that is handy when you're playing golf. So that's all Very. correct present and correct. On the right at the bottom, we have some some left and right arrows surrounding the word aim. And then we have some up and down arrows surrounding the word club. We also have the name of the club you have presently chosen. To the left of this. Um, on the left of the UI, we have the wind direction, which is a circle with a line in it. Um, on the left of the screen, so going up the left-hand side of the screen, we have the power bar. It's massive, massive power bar. It takes it up is. the entire left of the screen. And at the top of the screen itself, we have a dot, a sort of a big sort of ball and a flag. Uh, and that's sort of, basically, that's where you're aiming. So you move this dot left and right, and that's where you're aiming. And then the flag is where the fl- you know, you're looking at the flag. And there's two bars on either side, right at the end of this sort of bit at the top. Um, and if you move the dot to the bars then you change your aim you know you move it to the left or right aiming it's pretty simple the controls in this are simple they're just you'd be smooth to joystick left or right that moves the dot at the top but it lights up the arrows next to aim which i can only assume from the manual was what you clicked on in the amiga version unless this you can be controlled by mouse but i didn't see any mouse controls so i imagine in the amiga version you click on those left and right arrows to move yourself left or right so weirdly they've left them in for this version i don't know really why it's the same for moving up and down because you move just joystick up or down to change the club. And for some reason on this, the arrow's like up as your club changes. It, it's a weird leftover. And I think that you saw it, just port it, just port everything. Okay. <laughs> Even that, everything feels completely superfluous. I don't know why it's happening. If you move the dot to the left or right bar, as I said, then you move your view of the course to the right or left. The main view of the hole takes up about three quarters of the screen, sort of in the top right, and is very leaderboard. Your golfer is at the bottom of it and the course disappears to the distance. We'll come to you know what it looks like in a moment. Control is the usual three click control system. You click once. Um, and then the power bar on the left, you start to see the thing powered up. It's divided. I actually quite like the way this is done because it's quite big, so it moves. You, you can judge your shot speeds are quite a lot better, and it's broken up into 10 sections, and it's 10%, so that each one is 10%, and they get smaller as they get to the top. So the higher, faster you get, the closer you are. There's a little sort of overbreak at the minute at the top, and that'll be a, if you get into that bit, it's got to be a bad shot. So that I quite like the way that's done. Once you press fire, it starts coming back down, so that's your forward swing, and then you press the fire button again when it's at the bottom line and that, you know, how close you are to that decides whether you hook or slice it. It's like leaderboard. It's just a bigger, it's a bigger sort of bar than what you had in leaderboard. It works fine and it is, you know, no problem with that. 
it is a little bit it's chunky though it's chunky it's a bit ugly but it's and it's slower so i don't know if it's better or not it just it's the same the screen draws from left to the right though that's weird so when the screen appears it it draws in from the left and just goes a, a character width at a time and it's and mm. and then and it's not very fast so it's not like leaderboard where it all just appears sort of thing and then draws in a few bits of it. and then it needs to fill in all the trees and bushes that might be in the view <laughs> if you've got a lot of them then <laughs> they take a while to appear you're going to be there a while you're going to be a while it takes far longer than leaderboard way longer it also has a really bitty graphic style with an attempt i guess at dithering all over the place and a weird color scheme but uh, but also as well the viewpoint i found the viewpoint was lower than leaderboards so you're mm. behind the golfer much more so everything is much flatter as you're looking off into the distance um and therefore that really doesn't play well with the c64's limited resolution what is the resolution of the you know the y is it 240 or something or 320 what is yeah, it it's, it's not quite, much it depends on what mode it's in it's not much it's not much so when you're trying to sort of you know do distance with mm. with, with only a you know four five whatever character space you haven't got a lot of room there to actually put much stuff in with leaderboards yeah, 20 by 200 it is yeah so you were higher up in leaderboard mm. so you had a more angled angled view of the, the thing which worked better and also as well leaderboard just used flat colors for a lot of it, it's just greens some brown and sort Good. of green stuff Cleverly. this try this tries to use dithering and it doesn't look good. So all over the place. Um, so you end up with a blurry, dotty mess of a hole in front of you as your ball sails away. Th- then, you know, if you make it, you, you smack your ball, you go down the thingy, and you get to the putting. Okay, you get to the green. So the way the game tells you the slope on the green is they call it a break. And I think that's what they actually use in, in golf as well. So they have a break circle. So where it was the wind, it's now the break circles. So it says break, and there's a bar in this bit. So how how much this break bar is coloured in is how how far the lean is or the slope on the the um the green but the arrow is supposed to come from inside this circle and go out to sort of show you how much as well but on mine i don't know what's going on the, the line was often outside the circle so i was like i don't make any sense i think this is a bit buggy and broken yeah but, um buggy. so not quite sure what was going on there so i couldn't couldn't tell where anything was sloping to now on top of this the low angle is the same which means that your golfer covers the hole <laughs> so you can't see the hole you can't see where exactly where you're aiming at which is a bit of a problem i found because you just uh, you, you kind of have a distance but you're not really sure about it leaderboard you could see the bloody hole i don't know i don't understand why they've done this from this angle i don't get it so i mean it's golf but by now everyone's got leaderboard <laughs> And yeah. I guess if, if by this point you've had your fill of leaderboard and you wanted some new golfing shenanigans, you know, you know that's probably where they're coming at it from. It's been a few years now. But if you've got to position yourself as a serious contender to the best golfing game around, you need to be better than this. The physics on the ball don't seem particularly right because it's so flat, because you're looking from a flat angle. It needs to be higher. The graphics are bitty. They're ugly. The players as well don't look as good. They're chunkier and they don't look as good as the leaderboard players. They're just not as well animated and they're not as well drawn. And it just... It just doesn't feel as as good as the three year old leaderboard that we played and you know wax lyrical about and gave game of nineteen eighty six to. This is seventeen quid as well. I can't see why anybody would shell out for this leaderboard as we've seen in our charts can be had for a couple of quid on budget now. You know, you're like you know, and world class leaderboard yeah. must be about five of an hour or something like that. So I, this was a uh, you know for me this was a wild swing into into the rough. I, I didn't like this at all. It's, it's it's ugly to look at. It doesn't play very well. I mean, it's golf. It kind of all works. There's the modes and everything like that. But it's just not as enjoyable as leaderboard in any way, shape, or form. And when you're going up against one of the greats, you've got to bring your A game. And unfortunately, this is more like a, you know the, the, the back six around the uh, leisure centre on Cromwell <laughs> Road for me. <laughs> so I didn't particularly yeah. think much to this. What about you? 
The slowed in got to me with this one, Adrian. Yeah. The slowed in, so much slowed in. It was, mm-hmm. it was, it was really testing. Because um, <laughs> in my mind, all the time, I'm thinking I could be playing leaderboard. I could be playing leaderboard. He could. So it's like it slows, and then it's like there's some options, and then there's more slowed in, and then it's a bit more info, and then there's more slowed in. Ten minutes of boring selections and slowed in before he got got to an actual golf game. When I got there, it was bloody awful. <laughs> Slow drawing, badly defined, not very engaging. Leaderboard, it was not. Everything takes too long and the payoff isn't there. The player graphic is too small. The backgrounds are too badly realized. There's loads of courses, I guess. Uh, maybe that's a good thing. Some of the game types, I suppose, and things around the edges do have a little bit of the drop on leaderboard because leaderboard sticks to core golf, I guess. So maybe it's got a little bit more variety. But who wants to play this? I mean, it's so dreary. No now, um, maybe the um, NTSC version ran a bit faster or something, but for me, this was just pig awful. Slow, plodding. I just smacked the ball really hard, about 270 yards. When I got to the side, I just smacked the ball again, 270 yards. Somehow, I don't know, even though I, it kept saying I hit it 270 yards, I was getting nearer the bloody golf pin. Like, how is that working? I'm, I'm just, I just hit it 270 yards the opposite direction, and I'm now nearer than I was. I don't get it. <laughs> So it was, I just didn't think it was very good. And then, so, and the, it's just no payoff to it. And I'm like, and some of the little touches around the edges, maybe there's a little bit of accoladeism around those edges. You know, when you get the sort of scorecards, a little pencil on there, a little graphic of a hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little bits like that, that leaderboard doesn't have any of that, but they substitute all of those things for just but getting on with a good golf game and waiting for those stupid medium res trees to draw. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's already slow enough. Don't make it slower. <laughs> so no, this is the slowest golf game in history. Now, golf is not a fast game. I'll grant you that. Well, it's not this slow either. I mean, blimey. It'd be easier and more fun to go out and actually play golf. Just Even if you're not very good at it, just go out and find it because there's loads of dreary, bloody pitch and book places where you can go and, or go and have a sort of a, you know, a nine hole. You're going to enjoy that way more than this because even if you walked, started walking there, it was in, if it, for us, Adrian, it's the equivalent of us, let's walk to St. Andrews. That would be more fun than playing this game because <laughs> we'd get there quicker. So no, yeah, I didn't think would. it was a very, it's not that it's a terrible golf game because it's not many of them. It's just not a very good golf game when you've got leaderboard for two quid. Why on earth would anyone buy this? So no, 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 no. Thank you, Jack Nicklaus. I'm sure you know, it's maybe they are the greatest 18 holes of major championship golf, but I ain't going to want to slow my way through them. So get lost. <laughs> Off you go. No, yeah. not for me, this one. I'll stick to leaderboard. Thanks. Yes, so would I. Thank you very much. And there we go. That's it. That's the games done for July. What did we look at this week? Well, possibly one of the games of the year. We had Project Firestar, and then which was amazing. And then we had Gilbert Escape from Drill, which was not. Which was no Grand Monster Slam, no, no. Uh, Stormlord to our mm-hmm. two unfair and Jack Nicholas's greatest slow holes slow of slow, <laughs> of slow. <laughs> the greatest slow game of slow and ever in the history of slow. <laughs> slow. Here we go. <laughs> Right, we do have some crap votes. Before you head to the crap votes, before you scroll down, hopefully you haven't looked at these yet. Right, I've got, yeah, I've got a question for you just before we get into them, right? The first one is a Thunderbirds game, right? So you haven't, don't look at it yet. So okay. if I say to you, if I ask you, what is the Thunderbirds catchphrase? Which if one? I go five, four, All right, three. Thunderbirds, it's Thunderbirds are go. There we go, right? Keep that in mind. Okay. Right, so keep that in mind. Now scroll your page down and have a look. Oh, we've got it here. <laughs> What idiot did that? <laughs> Thunderbirds are coming. Yeah. <laughs> what idiot did that? Don't one know. job. One job. 
There's loads oh, wrong man. with this thing. But also, scroll it down further, because there's the next Thunderbirds advert, where they obviously realised <laughs> and changed it. <laughs> changed this it is to a... Thunderbirds. Oh, go. That's hilarious. Oh, dear. I mean, is it not a bit late for a Thunderbirds game? I mean, just would anyone... We've had one. In 1989? Well, I don't know, we've had one, but would anyone in 1989... Does this have any currency in 1989? Maybe it did. I don't know. What I also want to know with this advert as well, there's loads... It's a terrible laid-out advert. It says, Thunderbirds are coming, for one thing. Um, <laughs> the International Rescue logo is, is there for no reason. There's all the Thunderbirds in different parts. Parker in the background looks crazy. I don't know why they've greyed out brains. <laughs> it's like dead. Like it's like it's like thing is remembering him. Lady Penelope is remembering him. But also, what is the green thing that what's his face? The blonde guy is wearing. It's got trees in it. Is he? Or is he trapped in a green egg? I don't know. What is it? I don't know. He is. He, I, you know. I don't, I've only just realised now. You said that he is. He's climbing. His head is in an egg. <laughs> he's, he's wearing a green pa- patterned green egg suit. I don't know. It's just weird. It's a bit odd. And that guy in the left hand corner is going, eh? Hey. <laughs> who is he anyway? Who is that one, that blonde one in the egg? I don't know. I, he's what I think. Does he? He probably does Thunderbird three, the one that no one gets. Well, because if you look at the names, because it's all mini games in this. So there's Mine Menace, Subcrash, Bank Job, and the Hood in Atomic Terror. Maybe the Atomic Terror is something to do with green egg suits. I don't know. I don't know. It actually says at the bottom, look five, four, three, two, one. Thunderbirds, I go. It's a bit odd, isn't it? Have you noticed the hands on the um, the blue sort of guy in the chair? Yeah, his hands are kind of wrong. <laughs> <laughs> he's a puppet. <laughs> it's, 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 I think they've drawn the hands the wrong way around. I think he's he's got an arm for a leg and a leg for an arm. I think he's got his hands the wrong way around. Looks like weird. No wonder, no wonder that what's his name? The driver's going. What the hell is that? <laughs> Parker in the background. It's they're tiny. It's oh. just stupid. Of all the things to make tiny, right on the Thunderbirds thing. The Thunderbirds themselves, the giant spaceships they fly. They're yeah, the, the things spaceship. they should be massive. Yeah. And they're tiny. <laughs> I think Thunderbird one is that in the background there. It's tiny little Thunderbirds. It's like them. They're, they're huge spaceships. That's kind of the thing. Look at Thunderbird four. <laughs> it's just floating away from the green egg. <laughs> and is that five, the one in space? You can't even see it. Yeah, it's fine. It's meant to be, but they've blocked it out with the T, haven't they? Stupid. Stupid. Yeah. It's yeah. bad. Grand Slam. We'll see what that does. Anyway, oh, it's the, yeah. just to save advert twice, but I did notice it because one's in. Um, I saw one. I, I think it was, a spot was in. Difference. I think one was in CMVG and one was in Zap. I think I can't. Or Commodore user. Someone said you've sent that out. Oh, he said yeah. should be Thunderbirds. I go, you idiot. That's <laughs> already gone out for print. Are CMVG. <laughs> Thunderbirds are coming. <laughs> like, I wonder. Like, oh, I wonder. Pen- Lady like Penelope's that. looking a little bit dubious down the bottom right. Yeah, she looks just like oh. <laughs> Stupid. How do you get things like that wrong? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Yeah, we've got one other one. The oh most boring gosh. advert ever created. <laughs> so this is Archipelagos, right? Archipelago. If you read it, it's like new new age hippie nightmare. <laughs> Imagine a game without violence. It's like the lyrics to a bloody John Lennon song. Yeah, it's chilling <laughs> as abandoned places where people have died. At, oh, is it reading the left to right or up and down? I can't tell. It's it's go, go it's two part it's two two columns. Imagine people, a game without violence, yet as chilling as abandoned places where people have died and never returned. Imagine a three D world, yet the only forces are those that have come from the ground. Imagine the danger of a tormented soul carried aloft by nothing greater than the wind. So, <laughs> Archipelagos is a completely new sort of game. It offers 9,999 living landscapes. We saw that in that bloody Explorer. We did. In 3D with continuous smooth movement and scanning. This bit is the got me. It is so extraordinary. It defies classification. It is the experience of the metaphysical. Oh, it's bloody the yeah, architect right. again. 
Bloody well, isn't it? <laughs> Ergo, concordantly, Archipelagos is conserved. The left column is Led Zeppelin lyrics from the late 70s. <laughs> the right column, it all goes a bit bloody uh, proggy, doesn't it? That's that band that we saw last time. It's, you know, the, the alternative, yes. <laughs> Probably. Maybes, the maybes, whatever they call themselves. Anyway, oh, it's just... Archipelagos is conceived and coded by ast- astral software. Mm. I know. Sounds, sounds like a lot of astral. I know. Um, this... I'll tell you what, Look, just looking at the bloody way this is put together, right? Go for it. This is the it. Adobe Illustrator has landed, <laughs> hasn't it? <laughs> Very much so. Because Illustrator came out in 1987 originally. And of course, Illustrator, because Photoshop didn't come out until 1990, Illustrator was the one that's ve- all vectors. Mm. You can tell this is the, the vector has arrived. Someone's gone mad with the vectors on this. <laughs> vector leaves, vector everything's vector they haven't because there's no obviously they've got opacity because they didn't, hadn't invented that yet so everything's kind of just splattered on the screen uh i don't know and the logo for there what what is that is Which, that upside <laughs> is that looks like upside down testicles <laughs> like they look sore as well they're very they're very shiny reflective someone's, <laughs> it's like someone's put them in the uh, ball of shine <laughs> in simpsons yeah. oh well, have you been putting your head in the ball of shine again no, no. Call, call me old-fashioned but now, if you're going to have a dark blue background, maybe experiment with lighter typeface colours. Yep. Um, no, just go for, go get the old colour wheel out. It's not a, you know, it's not a that you know. Get, think about contrast. <laughs> just don't use black on dark blue because it really doesn't work very well and it makes it hard to read. And then someone said to him, he "Goes, you're going to need to put all the awards we've got for this game at the bottom." Honestly, it's don't want it. It's it's making well, my- some of those are made up. Format <laughs> gold. What star? Just star. It's not even in a star. <laughs> nine hundred and ten as well. It's just nine hundred and ten. Nine hundred and ten. What? Um, Quite a load of stupidness. So you've got Logotron Recreation. Oh dear, with some kind of magic turtle graphic. That's our logo. <laughs> is the turtle? And then a giant block of blackness in the middle where they've inverted the text. That is a typeface crime, right there. <laughs> you, you can see it and witness it. Different typeface for a start. In that kind of horrible military serif type font. No, no. And PC version does include free the audio cassette, box, though. No. You can imagine what that audio cassette's going to be like, can't you? Oh, yes. This is the sound of doves. It's going to be Wednesday. pan pipes. There's going to be pan yeah. pipes in there. Yeah, it is. It's Enigma variations type thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, not very good. No, no, no. <laughs> what does it say around the dangling upside down testicles? I'm trying to read that. Masterworks um, for, the for the millennium. millennium. Oh, God. And uh, nothing says masterworks for the millennium and then an angry set of shiny testicles. <laughs> Someone's disappeared at their own ass. <laughs> so badly. Yeah, they have. They're, they're their own seen, astral, yeah. <laughs> they've not seen daylight for weeks. They ain't. No, oh, it right. shouts pretentiousness at you in a vector-based way, and that's never nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> come, back, come back, Thunderbirds are coming. All is forgiven. <laughs> puppet, puppet jizz. Ew. <laughs> that went dark too quickly. <laughs> Right, let's have the chart. What we got here? Right, going down from number ten. Up to number ten is Ghostbusters from Mastertronic. Okay. Uh, and a new entry at number nine is Shanghai Warriors from Players. Okay. Down to number eight is Supercycle from Kicks. Okay. A uh, new entry at number seven is Micro Soccer from Micros. Down to number five is Dragon Ninja. Mm-hmm. This must be same as Emily Hughes with Biocean. Also at number five is Emily Hughes International Soccer by Audiogenic. It, a new entry at number four is SAS Combat by okay. Codemasters. A new, one. That. Okay. Uh, new entry, re-entry, well, not a new entry. 720 is uh, budget re-release from Kicks at number three. Okay. Turbo Esprit is at number two. How? People think it's going to be like the Spectrum one, don't they? Or like the one that's on the Amiga. 
Yeah, something like that. Lotus Esprit. I think they're thinking it's Lotus Esprit. Yeah, maybe. But staying strong at number one is Robocop. Mm-hmm. People are buying it for a dollar, it seems. Yeah, they are. Uh, going down the rest of the charts, at number 11 is League Challenge from Atlantis. God okay. knows. Uh, Speedball in at number 12, Mirasoft. Okay. Uh, Advanced Pinball Simulator at number 13. That's Codemaster, obviously. Simulator in the title. Uh, <laughs> Roadrunner. A new entry at number 14, that's from Kix. Zamzara from Racket at 15. Run the Gauntlet with double T. Um, <laughs> Idiots. <laughs> by Ocean at number 16. Hardball gets a budget re-release from Kix at number 17. Okay. The In Crowd, it's a compilation from Ocean at 18. Football Manager 2 from Addictive. Still there. I don't know, at number 19. And The Double at number 20. Still loading. Still loading. Yeah. <laughs> Still loading. <laughs> There we go. Right, what have we got for next couple of weeks? Uh, August comes in. We've got uh, American Club Sports. Okay. Who knows? Whatever that is. Um, arcade Flight Simulator. Oh, crap. They don't, those two words don't go together, Arcade no, and Simulator. I'm, sh- I'm sure they've proved it in tests and will experience <laughs> those tests. We, we probably will. Baal. Okay. Don't know what that is. It's obviously an Oscar Amiga. Citadel. Which is this okay, like? That's finally. the Martin Walker one, isn't it? It is. Deep Strike. Okay. Okay. Hate. All right. Strong words. Uh, well, Hawkeye, we've already looked at. Uh, Navy Moves. Um, we've already looked at Navy Moves. I don't know why that's in there. Ninja Commando. Have we looked at okay. Ninja Commando? I'm hoping it's not a ninja with no pants on. <laughs> What's the ninja song? <laughs> Where is the ninja? Where are I can't pants? see him anymore. I can Where see too much ninja? of him. <laughs> yeah. Where are my ninja friends' pants? <laughs> Rick Dangerous. We got that one. Okay. Uh, Saboteur 2. Mm, okay. uh, Super Scramble Simulator. That sounds stupid and crap. I'm going to guess that's from uh, Codemasters. Tank Attack. Uh, we've gone back in time again, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. And then we've got Wayne Gretzky's hockey. Okay. I think that's it. That looks like okay. it. Let me just check. Because that's like, yeah. Is that Zork Zero there or is that an adventure? Uh, Zork was an adventure in it. Yeah. Pretty sure of it. Oh, well, actually, no. It's just games on the games that are in there that are not on that list. We've got 3D Pool. Okay. Why is that not on the list? Don't know, but that's in there. That's that Weird. crappy one Weird. with a stupid advert. So oh, we have yeah. that to look at. So that's what we've got coming up for August. Another 11 games. I can honestly say that I was really impressed with Project Firestar. Really good. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the immediate contender for, you know, best game. Yeah. So taking yeah. a while, but... I mean, it's, it's got... Well, it's, I mean, it's going to be up against... So far, I mean, you, you put it up against Times of Law and Neuromancer, probably. Mm. Um, yeah. The most interesting things. And probably a Grand Prix circuit as well. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Some, so, that, so there have been some really high-quality games this year, yeah, but they're, few and far, they're very, very few and far between at the moment, aren't they? And weirdly, they're coming from... They the, the, they're all coming from the States as well. They are. Yeah, the last bastions, because all the budget ones from... They're all budget bastards from this side of the pond, <laughs> aren't they? Budget bastards, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, most of them. <laughs> yeah, they are. So that's it. That's it for July. I don't think we've got anything more. If you wish to support us... You can do that. You can go head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash zap to the past where you can chuck us some dosh and join in and join the Discord and get the episodes early and mm. have a good chat and a good laugh and things like that and get on episodes when we ask the podcasts and stuff like that like we did last week. If you've got uh, questions to ask us and all those kind of stuff and join in on the end of year awards and all that kind of stuff going on. Or you can just chuck us a quid and we, we, we're, we're very pleased with that. You can go to Kofi and buy the Kofi at kofi.com forward slash zap to the past. You can buy awesome Zap to the Past merch at zaptothepast.shop. 
can um, indeed. If you wish to walk around with a cool T-shirt on, then, you yeah, know. Drink out of a cool mug. There's yeah. There's also an exclusive mug on there. And that's also good. You can do all that if you want to do any of that. Um, or just, you know, sh- share on Twitter or Facebook or stuff like that if you like what you've heard. It's all good. We like it. It all works. Thank you very much. On that note, you got anything more you wish to add, Graham? No. Goodbye, July. Hello, August. Indeed, yeah. The summer continues. It is the full-on summer month of August for the next couple of weeks. Um, So it's time to put on the sunblock, um, get out the Speedos, um, and say hello Mm. to August. So on that note... Don't go Ninja Commando. God's sake, (laughs) don't do that. So on that note, I have been Adrian Mills. And I have been Graham Raddings. And we have been wondering, where is our ninja? A ninja. I can't see (laughs) him anymore. anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And we will hopefully see you again and the ninja next week. (laughs) Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptuther, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.